Welcome to episode 90 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined, as always, by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our third batch of games from issue 37 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and hurried around the halls of the things, platformed our way through Packland, and waited once again in Wolfman. This week we conclude our look at the games in May 1988, thank God, along with what was lighting up our cinema screens that month. So Graham, fill us in on the glorious delights to come. In this regular crust 12-inch spicy meat feast pizza of an episode, we dive once again into the secretive single frame per second 8-bit world of the invisible warplane, this time flying a very nondescript stealth mission. We take our dual master fighting fantasy books and cast them to one side as we explore the run and poke C64 version in the shoddy Blood Valley. As if we hadn't quite explored every nuance of the game Breakout, we have yet another clone, this time the depressingly familiar Impact. And we also wander through some goblin-fueled crystal caves on the hunt for instructions and simplicity in the pretty but confused Troll. As if your pizza needed any extra toppings, we set sail across the Atlantic with our fleet of warships armed with our trusty 16-inch guns to reenact the largest naval battle in history in Power at Sea, climb on board our fastest semi-sentient repto-mammals and run around repairing power nodes in the awkwardly titled Rim Runner. Shuffle around the humorless and incomprehensible puzzles of yet another dreary map-tastic walking adventure in Terramex before finally heading into the cold and somewhat thuddy world of the Interplanetary Weapons Development Lab, looking for Z-Ray parts in Herobotics. Ay ay ay! this bunch of games is akin to picking up a fresh dog shit wearing fingerless gloves. Ugh. <laughs> this was a buffet. I wouldn't have eaten anything from it. I'd have been like, no, I don't want to. It's got the, this, the shittiest volivants I've ever seen. No, and I don't like the idea of volivant, let alone actually manifesting itself near me. No. <laughs> no, no, no. No, this is a... I'm just looking at the games this week. Uh, Those crab sticks, they don't look very crabby to me. And I don't <laughs> eat crab sticks anyway. It's, it's, you know, it's not nice. No. No, no, no. No one likes. Cra- I, th- I think it's. Uh, I think people pretend to like crab sticks. Well, because they're not really crab. They're they're seafood sticks. No. That's what they call them now. Because they're yeah, not nice. What they're, what they're made of is not something you want to be entertaining in your mouth. It's not. No, I think people are just um, eating the crab sticks to get to the halkalash. There's probably a little bit of that in there. Well, what are in these crab sticks? Crab, essentially. At some point, <laughs> crab looked at it. Meat, bone, pork, <laughs> egg. It moved dog. sideways once of its own accord. <laughs> did it what the crab did they don't yes. even taste like crab not that i eat shellfish because i don't no i, I don't think i'm a big shellfish fan no nope, nope. no call nope. me shellfish but i don't eat that sort of thing <laughs> call me shellfish said uh sean connery <laughs> yeah shellfish i'll eat no, all my, I'll, I'll keep all my eggs all my crabs call me shellfish <laughs> you're so shellfish sean uh, anyway yeah so 
No, this is this is the worst buffet in the world. It really the buffet is. of May 1988 served up crap TV, naff bloody awfulness. It's not been great. It's not been great. No, it's had one or two highlights and yes. a general yes. general melange of um, average to crap. Maybe yes. this this week though will be different. Maybe let's see. Let's see. Should we should we get into some games? Because uh, I have a feeling this might be one of our shortest episodes ever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'd say that, but the, the weighty tomes that have come along with some of these bloody things. Well, now this is this episode. It's nothing if not book heavy. Yeah, so anyway, um, anyway, over. So so yes, let's just dive yes. in. Let's dive into our first one, shall we? Let's do that. Um, and our first one is Stealth Mission. This was 1995. It's disc only, and this got a well, I'd say a whopping 89 percent. Anyway, that's a heavy, that's a heavyweight score for a disc only game. I bet it's marvelous. <laughs> I bet it really is, and especially with the name Stealth Mission. This was very hard to find anything on, as the words Stealth and Mission belong to two of the most popular games on the system. That being Impossible Mission and Project Stealth Fighter. Yeah. Um, and so trying to and Stealth Mission. So it's a really rote name. It's like you know, just calling something two words. Yeah, red game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like as if someone called their game the way of international karate. Oh, airplane flight. <laughs> yeah. Oh Christ, loads of them. Or or, or 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 sneaky, you know, sneaking in somewhere. Like what? It's not a name. Stealth mission. What do you go on? Stealth missions, I guess. I couldn't even find any YouTube videos of it either. This was. It's like this game is so stealthy. It's so stealthy. (laughs) Nobody knows about it. The only two I could find on YouTube was someone watching the cracked intros to this game. And then they just stopped. As soon as you got to the game, they turned it off. They're not allowed to talk about it. That's the thing. <laughs> no. Or maybe they did. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I couldn't find it. Anyway, Stealth Mission. According to Moby Games, this was written by Steve Setzler. I keep wanting to say Seltzer, which sounds like a drink. But, um, it is, Set- yeah. Setzler. And, and directed by Bruce A. Artwick. And I think those credits are getting a bit above themselves, really. There's very little writing that I could see in this and no real direction to speak of, you know. <laughs> so, you know, call it what it is. Did you code this game? You coded it. You didn't write it. Directing? What you want about? Hey you! Hey you there! Make make more game. Okay, <laughs> well directed. Um, anyway, it's from Sublogic, who are also responsible for uh, uh, several flight simulators. I think a lot of them, Microsoft all flight of, simulators, all of them stealthy. <laughs> all of them stealthy. They, they, they released a lot of scenery discs as well, which I found weird. When you look at the thing, it's just just scenery random, of America. Random. But I can only imagine what that would look like in eight bit form. It's like, is that really Mount Rushmore? Is it? Not as is you, uh, not as you might recognise it. No, <laughs> no. Look over there. There's uh, there's more wiry graphics. Yeah. So they did that. But anyway, whatever. Anyway, this puts you in the seat of one of three fighter aircraft: uh, the F-19 Stealth Bomber, the X-29 Experimental. I don't even know what that is. And the F-14 Tomcat. Uh, From the title screen, you start by choosing which mission you wish to go on. And there are four, each of which has an easy and an advanced variant. These are Mountain Conflict, Battle at Sea, Ancient Ruins, and Marathon Bomber. That sounds like a really long... I don't know what that is. That sounds like some of my toilet trips, if I'm honest. (laughs) I'll quite often, quite I'll quite often on a Sunday morning, I've been known to do a. I'm, I'm known to drop the ancient ruins and do a bit of a marathon bomber. An advanced marathon bomber is what you'll be doing, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I look down into the bowl, and it definitely looked like a battle at sea. <laughs> I've looked down in there, and I think I've been on a stealth mission because it's now in there. I'm like, what? I, I definitely passed something. What's going on? <laughs> I think the dreaded <laughs> ghost snatched poo. That? <laughs> exactly. It's a stealth poo. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Choose one of these and you can then select the difficulty from zero to nine, which seems to undermine having an easy and advanced variant somewhat. <laughs> I thought exactly the same. Why not just include thing. it in the difficulty? Why bother? Like, oh no, we've got to have eight options, but then you've got a difficulty. So do I do advanced on dead easy? What does that, what does that mean? It literally means nothing. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you can choose your difficulty. You can choose your aircraft from the three I've previously mentioned, and then you can load up your plane with as many bombs and missiles as you think it will carry. I put them all on, all of them. I just get as much as I could, because why not? I don't want my plane well, to take exactly. off. It's not like exactly. It's not like you, you're really gonna end up doing anything other than just taking off and going. Wow, I'm covered. I'm carrying loads of bombs. Great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was carrying Got loads. No idea of bombs. what I'm supposed to be doing with this ordinance, but all right, I just carry it around. You know, you could you could see me coming from miles away, <laughs> and I just turned my a, a very expensive aeroplane into a, essentially a stealth donkey. So I just loaded it up with stuff and just hoid it around like some kind of mule. Yep. Like, look, anyone want some bombs? I got loads of bombs. Bombs, bombs for sale. Bombs here. Get your bombs, Get your here. bombs. bombs here. Bombs here. Bombs <laughs> here. You got any crab juice? Nah. No. It's all like bombs, sets, mate. Bombs though. Excess. Surface to air. Air to surface. Everything. Everything you want. Everything. All you want. Uh, once done, that's it. Once done, you press enter, and it slowly, bit by bit, loads in the game. This was dead weird, and I do mean bit by bit. First, some of the hood appears. It's like it's trying to like allure you with something. It's like trying to seduce you. Oh, first if I, it's like the dance of the seven veils in reverse because none of this is pretty to look at. So it's like, oh, what if I, what if I reveal a bit of the hood? Oh, <laughs> now if I reveal a bit more of the hood. Ah, ah, no. Then the green, it just becomes all green. Then it goes a bit liney before finally the finished game screen appears. Okay. So the hood itself is rammed, rammed with dials and stuff from, from which, just rammed with stuff, just stuff everywhere. It's up the sides, across the top, down the bottom. It's like they couldn't fit any more hood on this screen. It's ridiculous. So you can select which viewpoint you have, because in this game, you can look to either side, behind, or even from the top. Just how you want to fly a plane. Ooh la la. <laughs> All the ways you've ever wanted to fly. <laughs> yeah, from the top. You can even watch from the tower as well for some reason. Not that you can make anything out. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why they don't do that in actual towers. <laughs> See that plane taking off there? How do you fly in that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But like one of them when you got one of them radio controlled ones that you... All of a sudden, it's gone too far away. Like, oh, shit. I can't see that now. I can't see it. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, oh, that's crashing, that is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you can see from the tower. You can see from somewhere else as well, but who knows? You can zoom in as well. Like, I don't know which is that's weird. You can zoom in from the tower. Yeah. Just be, just stop it. It's just odd, this is. It's really strange. There's a thrust meter, um, which is odd. Damage. Uh, all the <laughs> dials you could ever eat an element you'd expect in a hardcore sim like this all of them everything you wanted i don't know what any of them mean if you hit shift and plus on your keyboard which is via the emulator um this increases your thrust and you start to move pulling back on the joystick lets you take off uh when you're fast enough so the visuals in this uh, they're filled in 3d but what that means is filled in green vectors for the land filled in black vectors for the mountains and the frame rate is completely tanked because of this so it's like uh, uh, you want me to fill these in oh my god uh, i'm only a 0.98 processor <laughs> you yeah, hear it was it coughing weeping. wasn't it then it yeah. Was, yeah and that's when there's not even much moving on screen and they knew this because you can press the o key to switch at uh, the o key to switch it to just a vector view if you're the kind of person who walks around in the world wishing they could see it in wireframe um you might like that and really it's about as far as i got i took off i flew around a bit i turned left and right i went "Ooh, these graphics are slow 
That's the exact <laughs> logbook that was written for all the uh, stealth fighter pilots around that time. Yeah. I couldn't find a manual for this because obviously stealth mission are the two most obvious words to call a game ever. So it just I couldn't find anything. Uh, I found a website that did that some guy talked about playing it but didn't say any of the key presses, so I had no clue. He was talking this really in-depth website we'll link to, which is like, when banking, do this. When attacks, like, none of this makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. No way that. coherent or, or in any one way One useful relevant. command in the whole thing. One useful command, which was... You could let, you could press one button and it automatically leveled you. Yeah, that was it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I wish it ended it, but this was about me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I couldn't find a manual. I didn't know the controls. There's loads of them. Clearly, I pressed every key. Um, I tried to fire some missiles. I tried to find something interesting to do, but there's there's nothing here to really enjoy, as far as I'm concerned. The whole game, it feels in comparison, feels really bare bones. It's got nothing like the attention to detail around the edges we saw in Gunship and Project Stealth Fighter, which. We didn't enjoy the gaming part, but we enjoyed the the wraparound, all the sort of loading screens and the sort of interstitial bits and all those kind of bits. And it's all completely missing from this. This is like, it's 20 quid, but it feels like a budget, budget fighter, budget stealth. So yeah, it may have these 3D filled in visuals, but they're not that great. Not that I could make anything out. There's just these black mountains in the distance that I think got bigger. I was sat there for five minutes. They didn't really do a lot. And I was at full thrust constantly, maybe because I was laden down with all the world's bombs, but... <laughs> I don't know. So probably going Good Lord, how is he going to take that thing off? <laughs> Wait and see. <laughs> Zoom in from the tower. Zoom in from the tower. <laughs> Tell him he's doing it wrong. <laughs> but, you know, it's not that great. They're just not that great. And the speed of the whole thing is, as you would expect, slow and boring. Would I have enjoyed this if I found the instructions? Maybe. Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> the games are not for me, even with modern PCs and consoles. So they're definitely not for me then. Boring, green, and blue. Even whack it. I even whack the emulator to a percent. It didn't really help much. If you're the kind of person that likes these 8-bit Sims, then this is probably another that's going to get you moist in the cockpit area. But if you're like me, this is just going to be another drab snooze fest. Despite the probably admittedly, and I get it, technical admittedly technical coding prowess on view. Nah, stealth mission. Just no. I just. No, it's not for me. It's not. I don't like these games. Move along slowly in vector form. How about you? <laughs> yes, I mean, principally exactly the same thought processes and everything. My, my instinct was, wow. Firstly, I thought these stealth aircraft, they really caught the attention of these game designers back then. There was like Project Stealth Fighter, Stealth Mission, Stealth, Stealth, Stealth. Everything was stealth. Yep. I'm like, okay, these, these things are meant to be like top secret and that, but all right. Just make loads of simulations about them and what they look like. All right, fair enough, do that. <laughs> the Russians must have been going, ha-ha, we have all your data. Some guy sat there who designed the stealth fighter going, look, it, all right, somehow the plan got out because <laughs> that looks exactly <laughs> like the one I drew. I don't know how they've done that. Anyone, I think they've seen it. So it's another, <laughs> I say another, so another 3D wireframe, solid mix. You can flip between them, right? Flight sim got a good rating in zap all the formula for me to go nah already but okay i'm going to base this on what i experienced and what i experienced wasn't a lot for the exact same reasons that you did trying to search generic terms on google is not my favorite hobby so putting in stealth mission brought up a trillion options none of which were to do with this project stealth fighter came up a lot if you look on youtube all all i got was loads of uh, missions from things like splinter cell and dishonor Yeah, Stealth yeah, yeah. mission. I mean, I don't doubt there's a detailed simulation with lots of controls, options, views, and all that. And it's clear that Microprose's Project Stealth Fire stole this game's thunder massively. So this is like, uh, this is obviously, they released this too late. <laughs> so another game came along and, you know, it just beat them to the stealth simulation audience. So yep. this is an also-ran. So it's an also-ran, which means that it's, you know, inevitably comparing the two. Which, so this is a poor imitation of that, really, anyway. And I didn't really like that. Choose your missions launch if you can whatever you would call that take off whatever you do 
into this 3D wireframe, whatever. All the options in the world, however impressive, in fact, they are, it all really in these games, for me, always boils down to what you end up doing and flying and controlling at the end of it all. So you can have all the pretty you want, all the options, all of the military paraphernalia, all of the little, you know, you know, choose your ordinance. Oh, got too many bombs, too many bombs. Oh, not enough bombs, not enough bombs. Not enough. All of that. You do all of that. <laughs> Way too many bombs. Um, but I've said it many, many times. You've said it many times. I'm going to say it one final bloody time. The C64 does not push 3D vector maths around well. Just not no. equipped. It's not equipped for it. I mean, they're only just getting anything meaningful together in, in 3D in terms of that. In modern demos, now, they're only just really doing anything meaningful. And even that's not really that fast and really very simple. So these games, however well-meaning, they will always lack the dynamism response time to make them engaging, especially for me, where I require that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 64 is what it is. It's it's hardware, is, as we've said many times, I'm just going to say it again, one final time. The hardware is more founded on arcade-type game creation. So pushing complex maths around not a strong point eight hardware sprites good that's a good thing it's got them so ambition is great and simulations all good if you can stand the frame rate and the trudgery of all this and plow through the endless manuals key commands options and all of that if that's for you and i suppose then great this if this is the only home tech available at the time and that's what's available on it and you find that engaging go for it fill your boots fly your planes do what you got to do. If that's what you think flight is actually like in a game and that's all you've got to compare it to, then you know, dive into the missions. It's going to take you ages, <laughs> ages. But mm-hmm. I had a thought about this aid and that was that the Amiga's out there now at this time. Yep. So this is 1988 and the Amiga's out there. And so really what you're doing is providing a really strong test case as to why the Amiga is your next potential upgrade because you're going to see Amiga games that do yeah. this stuff in much rapid way. You're going to go, ah, oh, the 64s, it starts to make... The C- these programs are making the C64 dated by process of making it look. They've been doing it for a while. So I think that's, you know, maybe that was the hidden agenda for this. Release a stealth game so that we can sell more Amigas. It seems very niche. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's crazy world. Stealth, it's yeah. a stealth mission to sell <laughs> more I think, Amigas. <laughs> I wonder if this is, I think, because this is probably, I don't, I didn't check into it, but it's probably available on other formats, maybe in some other ways. And this is some I down I think, it, I think it's just but, a C64. That's the only one I could find it on. I'm movie games it's you got to look at this in juddering you know judding it through the sky i mean i was I, I tried the different views i'm like what on earth is that it's just a different way of looking at some crappy bloody shape you know <laughs> yeah. I, I don't need a computer to do that i could just put a rubik cube on a shelf and go up at it from different angles if i want the novelty of looking <laughs> at a geometric shape from different angles and i could even do even do that slowly if i wanted to i just want to sort of slowly move towards a cube i could do that it wasn't even a cube was it anyway so I think technically, I don't doubt that this, this was a complex thing to program. I don't doubt that. Oh, sorry, direct. But what it's doing is, and while, what it's doing is difficult, and that complexity for me is what creates the visual disjunct between what, sh- what looks like it's all complex at the front, and then when you get to the game, it's this jerky green box thing with flight window stuff, sort of loads of dials and lights and switches that don't mean anything in blue or green. No, that's your options. Blue or green. Yep. Um, so... Just now, yeah, taking all them different views into account. All right, yeah, it's very impressive. Great for great screenshots, doesn't it? And great, you know, little screenshots. And the ones that have got in Zap, oh, wow, look, that's amazing. You're never going to get to that unless you t- really take ages. And I didn't have the instructions for this anyway. So all of those things are dead impressive on the right machine, but not on the C64. It just ain't cut out for it. And this pr- just proves it really. Just hammers that message home even more. Yep. So take your stealth mission and go back to bloody whatever because it's just no no i think all you really do is making me feel sorry for this commodore 64 at this stage and i yeah. don't really want that i no. don't want that no one does no there we go stealth mission should have stayed more stealthy should have never seen yeah. it yeah broke cover 
and it wasn't a good thing. <laughs> there we go. Let's move on. Let's move on from that. I'm sure the next one must be loads better. Can't be any worse. Let's move along. Graham, <laughs> it's, more, it's more generic names. Blood Valley. <laughs> Tell us about Blood Valley. So this was from Bremlin, the top of the chain, developed by Imagitech Designs. That's actually Martin Hooley. Um, if you look through his history, he seems to have got a lot of affinity for Barbie products. That's what that means, really. But he does. He's just got you know, all sorts of Barbie stuff. Mm. This was coded by Che Guevara John. I'm pretty sure that there's some silly naming going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, David Childs and Julian Gardner. The graphics are by Stephanie Waters. She's credited as Stephanie. Adrian Ludley. Nigel Cook, who's here as Cookie. Music Ben Daglish. So it's some kind of gremlin ensemble. Um, according to the intro in the game, Blood Valley is based on the Jewel Master fighting fantasy books by Mark Smith and Jamie Thompson. So that's exciting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I can feel the excitement. <laughs> My hold on to your excitement. Chips yeah. are vibrating. <laughs> so there is actually surprisingly quite a bit to go for this, but I'll try and press it as much as I can. In the book version, each title in these two is a t- it's a two player series. So there's actually two books. Mm-hmm. One containing in containing even numbered sections, and the other contains odd numbered sections. Now, I never I played fighting fantasy books, but I never played these fighting fantasy books. So um, they're adaptable to various levels of complexity, and they make use of dice rolling for randomization, code words for tracking certain conditions, coordination between the two players. This will make you laugh. Aid is achieved by the use of the wait instruction. Hey, oh. um, when a player encounters a wait instruction, he or she or they must wait for the other player to also receive a wait instruction before they can both begin reading again. This keeps both players' experiences more or less synchronized. So these are books. These are two, two books that you would get and play this game with. Uh-huh. And it's all based in this fantasy world. Um, now, I've got a bit of a description about all of that. Um, I mean, I never played any of these dual books, so they sound they does sound fascinating as a book. Um, and I think the title and the world of the books is probably the maximum extent of where this link between this game begins and ends, the title. <laughs> yeah. Um, the back of the box gives a very vague description of things. So Archvolt, spelt oddly. So is it Voot? Anyway, Archvolt, the hideous and mighty leader of the Fire Drake, has decreed that you must be hunted down like an animal and brought to sentence. Your only chance of survival is to escape the valley. Escape the valley in Wales, is that? Um, do you have the will and resourcefulness to succeed not only against your opponent, but the creatures and eerie beings of the fantasy world of Orb as well? So that's a very, very, very light summary of what is actually a very in-depth book story. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the blurb, um, it says, um, before you lies a complete fantasy adventure in which you will strive against your opponent as well as the creatures and strange characters of the fantasy world of Orb. Is that the same Orb that's used in the Ninja books? It is. Orb was first seen in the fighting fantasy game book Talisman of... T- Talisman... Uh, Talisman of... T- no, is it? Uh, Talisman of Terror, I think it was, uh, maybe. It's the okay. book number 11. It's the only one, one of the only one of the only few that's not set on titan so tread carefully adrian i'm just adding adrian for emphasis because you're not in that book as far as i know Um, (laughs) in blood valley you are invited (laughs) to take part in the annual hunt organized by the fire drake ruler of the valley of gad (laughs) each year a slave is set free at an ancient circle of standing stones and hunted down like an animal by the cruel fire drake the only chance of survival for the slave is to escape the valley Will you choose to be the Fire Drake, hated by all his subjects and desperate to avoid the humiliation of defeat? He will go to any lengths to present, uh, prevent the slave from escaping from the valley. Or will you choose to be the quarry, the liberated slave who has been specially selected as a good sport, but who is armed only with resourcefulness and a strong will to live and a sword and weaponry, actually. Sorry, you've got to mention that. <laughs> oh, yeah. The hunter that. or the quarry, you choose. 
So, like I said, the game's based on the Duel Master Fighting Fantasy books and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. Let's sort of dive into a little bit of the game. So, um, you essentially, there's two modes of play for this game, obviously, but it's there's one player and two player, and they work very differently, actually. Well, in the end, they don't, but they the build-up to it's a bit different. Um, so initially, you'll choose your language in this game. So you can get English, French, or German. And then you've got to read the blurb, which you'll laugh at, again, because it's kind of the same blurb I've just read for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there's some loading, and then you'll get to the in-your-face one to a player selection screen. Now, I didn't mind some of those screens. I thought they, you know, they were all right, graphically, quite big and bold. I quite like that. You know, the main looking, the main character you're choosing from is quite stylish. It's a nice stylish typeface. They look very arcadey at this point. <laughs> You may think that. Um, Talisman of Death, by the way, was D1, number 11. Talisman of Death. So um, if you choose one player, by the way, you will always play as the quarry in this um, because it's designed also for two players at the same time, of course. Um, so once you do this, we'll go. I'll bring the two-player option in when it's relevant to do so. So from here, um, you can choose your player type from Barbarian, Priest or Thief, who look more like a Hobbit, actually, I think, really. <laughs> or Hobbit-like. Very much like a Hobbit. There's a backstory for each of those characters in the manual, which I won't bore you with because, you know, it's but the stuff that's lifted from the book has been transported to the manual for this. So they've the game parts <laughs> they've added are really tiny, tiny little bits. And then it's mm-hmm. got loads and loads of waffle and maps and stuff from the book. Anyway, so I won't bore you with that. Um, so obviously there's a whole, you know, for obvious reasons, there's well fleshed out locations, interactions, worlds, story arc. Even the hunter and all of his evil friends get thoroughly described in detail. All the trappings of a detailed fighting fantasy book are present in the background detail for this, as you'd expect it to be, based on something like that. Each of the characters you can choose from also has a series of special objectives or quests to complete in the context of the game. And this actually is kind of a way of making it sort of um, beginner, intermediate, or difficult, really. So the priest um, has well, one, two, three, four, five things to do. You've got to defeat the Archvault, destroy Mal- Malifice, Prince of Vampires, um, Destroy the undead warrior, Lord Tobias, and slay Demivolt. All these names are all described. Get, I thought you just had to get out the valley. No, you've got to get out the valley, but these are the things you've got to do as well in order to win. Ah, you see? <sighs> and if you choose Barbarian, you've got to defeat the Flame of Acheron, slay Kratos Bloodheart, and also slay Kareem. So, you know, um, if he just wants Kareem, he could go to an ice cream shop, wouldn't he? Give me the Kareem. <laughs> and then I chop want it, Kareem. Chop it in half. What flavour do you want, love? Um, <laughs> and then there's the thief. Um, to, he's got a lot. The thief's the hardest one a lot. You've got to defeat the Archvault, steal the Serpentine Cross from the monastery, steal the Golden Idol of the Flame of Acheron, defeat the Flame of Acheron, steal the Golden Crown from Little Tobias, and then also, and this will give you a chuckle, beat the Guardian of the Barrow Wield. All right. <laughs> Anyway, that's what you got to do. <laughs> okay. So once you've chosen the role of quarry, you'll be playing. And this is more loading, and all your efforts and all the reading and digesting will be rewarded with bah, 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 the game itself. Right, before we just get into that. The two-player mode is slightly different. Um, so player one is in joystick port one, player two is in joystick port two. If you choose player two, you take it in turns to sort of do the setup. So the player playing the hunter first chooses the character from Kratos, Kareem, or Demivolt. Um, and then you actually, well, you're playing, sorry, as the arch vault so you you choose those three and you actually place them in the locations on the map now this is a bit weird because you display the map is displayed it's quite a nice graphic of the map and you get this giant cross hairs that you've got to sort of position them on but you can only deploy these three characters when it flashes so you don't get to choose anywhere to put them you can only put them where the game says you can put them mm-hmm. which is ironically exactly where they appear in the book ironic. all right ironic really the irony uh, so so even though it's the you know you get this really elaborate selection screen you can't actually really choose anything other than what you're supposed to mm-hmm. and it's stupid so you do that and you set your map locations 
deploy your evil aliases and and then obviously uh, uh, you're actually meant to choose where you think the quarry might go, which is the stupidest reason to select anything. <laughs> um, if I was a quarry, if I was the barbarian, where would I go on this map? Hmm. It's, it's, it's just pointless, pointless stupidity. That. Um, anyway, once you do that, um, the graphics and controls, I say, are all right at this point. Anyway, once you've done that, you go through that. And then it shifts to the quarry. They choose their role from the three, the barbarian, the priest, and the thief. is loading with a weird sky blue background. Very pleasant. And then the game begins for the two-player. So there is a slight variation in how it looks. So all of that preamble, although not graphically amazing, is better than what we're about to encounter by a billion, factor of a billion. The game window in single play is split into three parts, essentially. The top left is the area where you control your quarry, or the quarry as you are, with the joystick. With left, right, and up, that will, up brings up a mini menu when there's no enemies on the screen, which isn't very often because they, like, they're always on the screen pointlessly anyway. But And that's where you can choose from inventory, use, or quit. So really, two options. <laughs> <laughs> so really, one option. Look at look at what you've got and use it if you want to. <laughs> look at what you, you could use things in different. Yeah, and you can use things in different areas. You won't want to, though. Uh, mainly, you'll do what the next thing is, which is, you know, you'll fight because you'll be doing that constantly. So you... You press the fire button and go left and right, and he flashes his sort of sword um, and kills enemies. And there's plenty of them. They just keep running in, the enemies, all the time, running in, running in, running in, running in. They might drop stuff or objects. You might come across stuff or objects, treasure, potions, quest objects, stuff to pick up. You stand over them, press down on the joystick, and he'll pick them up. No real indication of what they're supposed to be for, what they do. Maybe potions get kind of a giveaway, but the window scrolls badly. This is where my... No, I start to twitch at this point. So the window scrolls badly left and right, so you can enjoy the horrible, bitty, and badly drawn graphics as your barely viewable game sprite walks and runs around, such as it is. Um, He looks like he's wearing ballet shoes, and he kind of weirdly tiptoes as well. It's a very strange animation. Uh, In spite of all the uh, heavy description, the enemies are all equally diminished as well, Um, so they're difficult to see sprites that also strut around meaninglessly and become fodder for your endless poking. That's right, Adrian. (laughs) I think this is a somewhat newish genre that we've discovered, the run and poke. (laughs) The endless poker. (laughs) It's an endless poke. It's a run and poke. Uh, the lower ooh, section of the screen ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh, don't ooh. you put me with that uh, the lower section of the screen displays the quests that your you character has to try and fulfill you got me right in my blood valley <laughs> in addition to this you must try to escape from the hunter of course of course and all these allies and the other hostile inhabitants of Gad and also you must try to locate one of the exits from the valley uh, right. alright the small scroll on the right hand side of the screen shows a sword icon which represents your present energy level when this gets diminished, it must be replenished by eating food. Otherwise, you will die. Also displayed on the scroll is a day-hour counter. There is a day-night cycle in this game for no purpose whatsoever, indicating the time you are spent in the valley, which is meaningless, and also the distance you've travelled and the number of different parts of the valley you've passed through, also meaningless. The bottom most section of the scroll is the power indicator of the hunter, which to me looks like either a burning hot dog, a smoking cigar, or a potentially uh, a used tampon. <laughs> you, you, you can, I'm sorry to say it, but you, you play the game and you be the judge of what you think that is. Oh, Blood Valley. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> I feel bad at myself. I really do. I didn't say it. Um, anyhow, the two-player game window, just so we go back to the two-player on this, is split across the middle with the hunter at the uh, hunter on the bottom of the display and the quarry on the top, as as in the single player. The right-hand scroll remains to the indicate the health, etc., etc. And so the game plays out the same. What you're actually meant to be chasing each other, but what you are doing is running and poking, finding things and poking. <laughs> And more poking. It's just a pokey old game, this. <laughs> all the pokey. It's all poking. So uh, my, my comment is at this point, ah, this is such rich material for a game, clearly, because it's a game already in book form. Right? So 
The fun of these games is I'm sure playing them from the physical books. That's the pleasure of this. This weird C64 version is doing no one any favours and is, for my money, trashing these great games. The production around this, okay. Music, not terrible. but Not bad, not great, but not terrible. Music Menu screens I thought were okay. That part looks kind of the part. They get blockier and worse. But the issue here is that when the game arrives in either one or two players, it looks and plays terribly. The graphics are a horrible mix of bitty brown and greys and they're not very well realised, and the main sprites are small and also just not very good. The scroll is jerky, jerky, jerky. <laughs> and the controls are lumping and awkward. Pressing down to pick things up is kind of annoying. Why not just run over them? <laughs> Why not just do that? Yep. Fighting feels meaningless as your sword fights, or whatever they have, whatever you might call them, have no impact or real value. Plus, you do them endlessly for no reward whatsoever. Your quests are just running and poking. That's not the spirit of the game and the rich material which they've hinged all of this upon. I mean, I, I don't understand the choices made here. Why not think about a top-down type view for this, akin to Avenger, and possibly leverage that kind of thing? Why not? Why make this horrible walk-and-poke type of deal? The choices here don't make any sense to me. And um, I would say perhaps, uh, I'm just suggesting this, Adrian, they should have never made this into a C64 game <laughs> at all. Just saying. There are reasons why these fighting fantasy adventure game books work as books. They allow you to immerse yourself in your own imagined version of the world to describe, filling in the proportion of things with your own beautiful imagination um all that applies to fight all i mean that kind of applies to all fighting fantasy books but this even in the two play variations i imagine that's kind of the crux of this right your imagination is filling in all of those mm-hmm. detail blanks there's so much world here there's so much to realize so to realize that beautiful rich tapestry as some kind of moldy old tea towel like this is depressing <laughs> It's another notch on Gremlin's headboard of shame. And I did not enjoy my time in the Blood Valley. What about you? No, no. What is this? I'm just going to correct myself, actually, because I've been thinking about the Fighting Fantasy game books. I think there were two before Temple to Talisman of Death that were not set on Orb. I think there were Scorpion Swamp okay. and House of Hell. Just before anyone says anything, um, I, I will know. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, um, what is this? Why do they keep getting Fighting Fantasy game books wrong? <laughs> Why? I, I don't I, know. I love them. I don't get I it. I love them. I grew up with them. This is slow, awkward, and annoying from the get-go. The initial characters to choose from looked like the lineup from the Wurzels to me. Um, <laughs> Baron Knight's version. <laughs> they were just awful, and there's far too much white on that title screen. I was like, ah, that's far too bright on my eyes. It's, uh, I've been out all night. It's like, ah, that's not good. Um, in the game, the music's soon great. The visuals are a baffling blend of blue, brown, and yellow. Why is it? Why is the, why is the ground blue? <laughs> Fantasy blue. <laughs> <laughs> is that the new one from Games Workshop? You'll need Fantasy Probably. Blue. Three coats of it for that ground. Um, that'll be £70, please. The gameplay is rote nonsense. You wander to the left or right and stab or poke. A never-ending supply of poke. badly animated and drawn enemies. Sometimes they drop stuff and you can pick things up, but this feels bad to play and bad to look at. This is the same issue we've had Yusagi Yajimbo. Yeah. You know, we've seen a left-to-right or you know, left-to-right scrolling hack a up done properly right <laughs> you know True enough. and that had that came from a similar lineage it came from a comic it came from a literary background this yes, is from a yes. you know literary background and we've got this it's just it's, uh, this only highlights how good yusagi was and how bad this is this was awful 23 percent. oof yeah i mean i've played i've not played these ones but i have played some of the two-player game books i, I had some, good fun to play i've never played them but I yeah i've got i've fun. still got a, i've still got a couple they were by uh joe dever who did the uh, lone wolf books so i've got the oh, uh, yeah, yeah. the white white warlord and the black baron i think it's two of one of them and there's another couple as well i've got we should have a play at some point um yeah. they're, they're, they're fun one one's better than the other one is you're chasing each other around a dungeon just trying to kill each other and one you're flying around in airships trying to shoot each other that's oh, not the better one cool. 
it's a bit that's a bit trickier that one's a bit odd but the, the dungeon one's quite a laugh but this is garbage yeah you're right it's just, it's just rubbish all that stuff at the beginning everything around it it's just a bad game it's a bad pokey pokey thong poker thong yeah yeah <laughs> it's bad how to know. turn something with all that enriched material into a you know run and poke yeah <sighs> no not no. for me blood valley terrible awful yeah no i moved on quickly from this one as as we should as well i think yes let's go yeah maybe it'll get better next in the next one maybe (laughs) 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 Uh, this is impact um full price again 9.95 another breakout clone it's here in full price form under either the name impact or blockbuster okay According to Moby Games, I've got a lot to say on this, by the way. According to Moby Games, this is supported from the original by Reptilia Designs. On Lemon64, it is listed as Steve Snake. Whatever. Steve Snake. Whatever. He sounds... What are you in some Steve sort of... Steve Snake did it? Well, that's what it said. Reptilia Designs, Steve Snake. Oh, God's sake. Uh, what the Alan Smithy of the gaming world, was not it? <laughs> yes. Supported by uh, Bob Lizard and uh, Robbie Newt. There's no plot or story to this, so there's nothing to talk about. It's Breakout. It's a Breakout clone with an attempt at a different style of upgrades to what we've seen previously in Arkanoid. Uh, there's a, I think I understand that there's a, you know, a level designer in this as well, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so God knows where that was. When so I was, I, and I tried a few different cracks. This they all started the same. So whether the main crack of this that's out there is just not got it or something, I don't know. Whether it's separate load, whatever. So when this loads up, you, there's no title. In other versions, I saw there was a title screen, but there wasn't in this one. So I don't, I don't know what was going on. Anyway, when the game starts, you're at the bottom of the in the version we played. You're you know it's breakout. So you're at the bottom, bricks at the top, and you've got control of a ball. You have to pull back to launch the ball, and then it will then move up. I mean that's stupid, isn't it? Yes. It is. Let me just qualify that. Because if you just press fire, then all it does is just floats from side to side, slightly above your bat, not doing anything until a, <laughs> until one of the wandering enemies comes down and knocks it up. You have to wait for ages. Me, it drove me mad. Slowly <laughs> like, mad Stop that doing day. this. Stop it. So I don't know if there's some <laughs> problem with this crack version that I don't know. Anyway, but you know the main version of the game plays like it would do the, the ball bounces up you know it hits off bricks it bounces off walls it destroys the bricks it comes back down you hit it back up again it's left and right it's it's breakout every now and again a brick will drop an icon a very crappy little icon which if collected will highlight the first of the nine power-ups on the right collect another and the second will highlight if you pull back on the joystick this activates whichever power-up is highlighted why didn't you use a fire button why back the fire button's right there <laughs> <laughs> it's right there on the joystick stupid stupid uh, uh, and they you know pulling back it would activate whichever power is highlighted at the time they range from sticky bat multi-ball extendo bat bombs stuff it's the usual stuff you know there's multi whatever if you um if you do choose it then the next one you collect you start right back at the beginning there's nine of them to collect once you clear the screen you move to the next one clearing 10 gets you a code to start from there should you wish to there's also supposed to be, like I said, a screen editor, but I couldn't get to it. Anyway, whilst this is Breakout, it's undeniably very, a very one of the most very boring ones we've actually played. There's probably a nice parallax star field in the background for some reason. I don't know why. Are we in space in this one? I don't know. Well, clearly, there's some kind of parallax star field for some reason. It's nice, but I don't know what it's there for. But beyond that, this is slow and dull and a real chore to play. This, this really, I, I've struggled to actually write much more to say about this. I was thinking, what can I say? Um, the visuals are perfunctory, high res, but so, so everything's single color. Basic blocks, there's some single color animated high res sprites floating around. That are, there's a sort of a pl- ball with a 
satellite going around it. There's some wavy lines. There's stuff. They're just nothing. They're sprites. They're just, you know, I've drawn some sprites. Look, what are there? Some sprites. Well done. The speed of the ball is random. Sometimes it'll speed up, bounce off stuff, go fast. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes it's whatever. Mostly it's slow, though. <laughs> which doesn't help um, because when you get to the last few bricks the one the bricks in the middle take multiple hits to destroy and it's so hard to aim anything at them uh, because the aliens get away. it just takes forever the slowdown as well sometimes i know quite a lot of slowdown when it was just the ball was just bouncing towards the wall it would just go uh, just slow up and jitter all over the place which is odd because there's very little moving on screen maybe take out the parallax background in the you know stars if it's you know because You've got slowdown in your main game. That's going to be good. The sound is basic at best. And whatever, you know, it's beep, 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 whatever. It does nothing we've not seen in games already. In fact, I've done far better. Slow, dull, and boring. This had little impact on me, is what uh, my last <laughs> comment. Very good. Go play Arkanoid or Revenge of Doe yeah. or Traz yeah. or Crack Out. Yeah. <laughs> or any, any of the other, or um, even the one in Oink. Yeah. You know, they're all better than this. 995 has got 40%, way too much. It's the bad version of Breakout. What more is it to say? What, what about you? No, I, I haven't got much more to add. It, like you said, it's just a high-res Breakout game that felt oddly completely heartless. Chasing yeah. the Arkanoid crown with that top price tag as well, which is a very silly thing to do, isn't well, it? Arkanoid's quite cheaper. It's, well, even, that's what I mean, but you're, in, you're pricing yourself at the top, so you're comparing yourself with the top games out there. Why do that? This is, The free th- Breakout game that was on the Zap Sizzler cover tape some time ago was better than this. Oh, the Jeff Minter was. Yeah, it was yeah, 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 it was. Um, so it's just a jaunty experience all in all, isn't it? You know, <laughs> weird, bold, high-res graphics that serve no purpose. There's nothing to it. It's just it's a boring breakout game that is really doing nothing new, innovative, or interesting. The only slap across the face is that it's 10 quid for this. When you, There's a better game that's cheaper. No, mm-hmm. thanks. No, that's it. That's all I've got to say. No, no, no. No, there is nothing more to be said about Impact. Nope. So let's leave it where it is and move on. We've got one more game, so let's get into that. It's a bit weirder, this one. Graham, troll. What's it like to be a troll? The troll. Um, I'm not sure who coded this. I didn't write that down for some reason. It's, I've got uh, it. it's Copyright Palace. It's Denton Designs. It's Denton Designs. Graphics are Stuart Fotheringham. Title screen, Stuart Fotheringham. Musician here is Fred Gray, apparently, although I mm. wasn't sure about that, but okay, so that's, who it's, that's who it's listed as in Lemon. Complex and busy old looking thing, this, isn't it? Troll. Mm. 62% in Zap. Not the greatest score for a Palace game. Anyway, let's just go through the blurb. Hum, Gruffin. A <laughs> uh, large and amiable troll has accidentally stumbled into the netherworld of Nark. <laughs> the, the netherworld of the Nark is a dangerous place to go for any <laughs> Absolutely, drugs don't. Winners don't do drugs. Winners don't do drugs, kids. Although, and <laughs> so it says um, the world, netherworld of Nark, an eldritch land. I'm not sure what that means. Of crystal caverns populated by a race of maniacally malevolent goblins. Knowing his only chance of escape is to reverse the spell that put him in such a predicament. He said, I thought you accidentally stumbled in. Anyway, um, he realizes that uh, this can be done by taking the key crystal from each chamber and place each one in its amulet. Oh, like you'd figure that out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, being a resourceful soul, he always has holes in his pockets. These are generated by a spinning wheel of fortune with its magnified center section. It starts to get a bit weird here. When our hero feels too threatened by the marauding goblins, he can throw one of his holes onto the floor and escape through it to a new cave. Or with a carefully timed throw into a goblin's path, he can make it disappear. For he knows only too well that being touched by a goblin will turn him to stone and condemn him to spending an eternity as a troll statue in the goblin land of Nark. All right. All right. <laughs> now that's actually all your instructions you're going to get for this. There's some hints. 
about the various things that happen in there. One of the criticisms in Zap was that the instructions are a bit vague compared to what the actual game is. When I say a bit vague, that's a bloody understatement. It really is. So I'll try and describe the game as best I can. So the idea of the game then is is you've got to collect the crystals to move through the different chambers, um, collect the gems, sorry, as they call them, or whatever you'd call them, but mm-hmm. the key crystals. And there's a number of different blocks. So if I let me go, let's go back to the, the way it presents itself. So the game is presented in a series of chambers. Each house is a lower floor of crystal columns, all, all at differing heights. Uh, so imagine a bit of a almost an isometric looking blockbuster type grid, but a bit smaller. And at the top of the chamber on the ceiling yeah. is a mirror image of the of the crystal sort of layers at the bottom. You control Humguffin, Guffin, Humgruffin. What's his bloody name again? Hum Humgruffin. <laughs> so you control Humgruffin around this landscape, navigating your way over these crystal columns. Some of them are too high for you to climb over. So you need to navigate kind of around those ones. And there's a collection of things that appear to either help you or hinder. So there's flip pyramids. They allow you to jump to the mirror world to collect items from up there. So you can sort of hop between the two different world, well, two parts of the chamber. There's spotlights, which allow you to travel to other chambers. and But they also let goblins into that one as well. The goblins are in there and I'll talk about them in a minute. There's fruit appear as well, which gives you more energy. There's also toadstools, toadstools, which you can jump up and down on. And they allow you to spin the great wheel, which is on the left of the screen, which you can then act used to access other chambers and it's it's all getting a little bit woolly about what connects to what at this point i can mm-hmm. tell you yeah so so you and and your goblins are armed with holes these but when they say holes it's things you throw on the floor that create a hole and you can throw these onto the crystal tops and if you throw them in front of a goblin they'll fall through and obviously disappear but you've got to be careful because you can also fall through the holes and the goblins can throw them for you so you there's holes everywhere, so you've got to be careful of falling in the holes. So the goblins are also armed with them, and if you fall into one of those, you've only got five lives, so you'll lose one of your lives. If you touch a goblin, you eventually turn to stone, so you've got to avoid doing that. The goblins also build mini walls all the time around the chamber to block you from being able to navigate around the crystals, or to trap you, which they'll do. So you need to keep moving and keep an eye on things, and move and jump around the crystals in the chambers, and aim to collect the key crystals so you can ultimately escape. And that's kind of the way the game plays out. So it's sort of, if you imagine a view, it's kind of a big blockbuster grid on an isometric viewpoint. You've got your little characters, goblins running around, you're a little humgruffin, and it's all kind of played out. And there's this kind of wheel thing on the side, which the use of which is a bit weird. Um, yep. Because I couldn't quite figure out exactly what how it related to what I was trying to do. Anyway, I'll sort of come to that. So we're all good on kind of a general plan and the way it sort of plays out. So the graphics and sounds here are actually pretty good. It's, they're well-drawn, they're well-realized, and it's got kind of a classic palace quality, which you've kind of come to expect from their sort of thing. Their sprite work in their games and the people they hire have always been pretty good. So palace kind of always have had that. It kind of looks the part. It feels quite polished. It's got a pro feel to it, to the look. The pixel mm-hmm. work good, good sprites, nice controls. It all, it all flows well. Colors generally work quite well, though on occasion they do get a bit blended, so it's a bit hard to pick details out. We'll come to why that's a more of a problem in a minute. There's lots of little things moving around here, and it's a reasonably simple game to play in the sense that the way you move it around. If it was like Qbert, if it was that kind of logic, it would probably work a lot better for this, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not all. So you think with all of those elements, it'd be fun, right? Well, no, it's not fun. Unfortunately, there's issues. So starting <laughs> in the game can be instant life loss. Because you can and do spawn on holes from time to time, so you just die instantly. So problem, and that's a bit of a problem. They spotted that in the Zap review, and I had it happened a few times when I started the game. Start the game instantly dead. Yeah, really annoying when that happens. Really, you can annoying. also get really easily trapped. So you can get trapped and, and not be able to get out from the place we're in. Because judging the height of the crystals that you're on, because you obviously you can only go, I think two 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 crystal steps higher than you actually you actually are able to. If it's any higher than that, you can't. 
And if they start building the walls around you, you can get trapped. If you're trapped in there, you're trapped. You can't do anything. You're just waiting around. You've got to wait to be killed by a goblin. So you just stood around, waiting around. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of that sort of silly logic, and that can happen really easily in this game. So you, you think you're doing well, and all of a sudden you find yourself trapped in, trapped and stuck in a situation. Like, oh, it's just stupid. So they all those kind of things point to me at a game design that wasn't quite fleshed out properly, that they hadn't quite ironed out some of the nuances. Like I said, the controls are okay, but the screen is quite hard to read in terms of height, which is one of the most difficult things about this game. It's really hard to read the screen, what's going on. There's lots of small items condensed into a fairly small space, lots of things moving around, and it's just a bit bitty to sort of view the height of the little crystal columns. Um, And that's twice as hard if you jump up to the bloody one at the top, because judging something's height from it coming top down is really hard. When mm-hmm. you're working that way, it's really weird. It's it's actually it's quite it's like playing it in a mirror. Um, I think Zap said, and I agree with them. It's quite hard. So the problems in the first ground floor, if you like, are exacerbated and amplified if you jump upwards, which makes the game twice as unpleasant. So that's the difficult in it because it's you know if you half the game is is twice as bad as the first bit. It needed simplification. The whole thing needed to be simplified. And what you've got here is far too many ideas competing for each other. Lots of interconnected ideas that don't make any sense in a game that is just trying to cram too much in. And they obviously had a really good visual library of graphics and things for this. They just didn't really seem for me to know what to do with them. There's too much going on in the chamber. Too many small things to focus on. Bigger graphics would have helped this with less crystals to climb on. Cuba doesn't have a 65 you know, hexagon wide group bunch of crystals. It's just a tower, a fairly small tower. Games of this type don't need lots and lots of things to jump on. You just need a few things really to keep it keep it fairly simple. Those arcade games, they they mastered this kind of thinking process in arcades long ago. If you've got a single screen of stuff, you don't cram the screen with so many things. There's a reason why Donkey Kong doesn't have 97 platforms to climb in that first level. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why Pac-Man only has a few you know, a fairly, a fairly rudimentary series of left and right turns throughout the maze, then it's not a maze that's so complicated to navigate. You, it's pointless. There's reasons why those things are kept simple like that, and this sort of really does break that kind of rule. So bigger graphics would have helped, less crystals to climb on. Using colour might have worked to their advantage for differing heights, so you've got a visual cue about the height of things, because it's really impossible to know, unless you run in and you can't get onto something, how height something is, and before you realise it, you might end up trapped. The instructions are ridiculously vague for this game. I mean, I've read the instructions out. <laughs> that's that's all you get. Yeah, um, yeah. Which which mm-hmm. which is really really difficult. So a simpler game would have required simpler explanations, which means you could have got away with having a two paragraphs of what you got to do instead of trying to wrap it in this really weird goblin esque world of narc story. Just keep it simple. But they didn't. Complicated ideas, exponentially made more complicated by trying to put in a mechanic of having a mirror image at the top double that with not being able to explain things very well and really vague ideas of what the whole thing really equates to anyway. And what you've got is a recipe for visually compelling problems and disasters. So as it stands, it's pretty, but it's all a bit much on the eye. Lots of competing logic. None of it really lends itself to the central premise. There's things to like. Solid presentation for a start, some good music. Under the hood, lies a confusing, frustrating, and often overcomplicated game, both visually and in the terms of the way it plays and through its mechanics. With that, combined with the under-describing of the instructions and some of those real design flaws and bugs, you've got a flawed game. And that is a shame, really, because it does look pretty, but the game in here is just not friendly to play. And it really, and you end up getting bored and frustrated with it. Full price as well. What about you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. An interesting attempt at an arcade puzzle type thing. Just doesn't quite work. Like you've rightly said, it's annoying to spawn next to goblins who immediately drop a hole on you or walk into you, get trapped in areas you kind of get out of. I mean, those are 
design elements that show a lack of playtesting and you know just a lack of just thought and so that actually needs to be fixed how do we fix that well we don't spawn you next to grounds or we spawn you in a certain place so where you're away from people where away from things and if you can't get out then we notice that and we either allow you to destroy one or build a bridge for you something get you out of there allow a random teleport you know so you can just teleport somewhere else on the base there's 96 tiles on that grid that's That's a lot in it that's just the one on the bottom you can double that for the top so that's 192 tiles that's way too much on screen it's way Way too many too many what's cuba it's about 30? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or something? I Much don't know. Simpler. It's not many. You don't need that many. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. The visuals are nice. Stuart Fothering, as ever, Fothering, I'm sorry, as ever, does some great little sprite work and decent animation and nice. And they've got loads of character and stuff in those little sprites and stuff. He always yeah, they does. Do. I mean, they really things do. like, you know, Robin of the Wood, you know, and all the things that he's done. And he's, you know, and it's well programmed and it feels nice and presentation is good, but it's designed is lacking and that's where it, that's where this uh, comes a cropper it's hard it's i found it really hard to understand exactly what i was supposed to be doing really i think i didn't quite understand the whole it's a hard game to read isn't it as well because, yeah. because and that emphasizes it doesn't it You're like what am i doing where, where am i at in this game yeah yeah and so that was it, it, it just you know it was like takes a lot of time to try and figure stuff out by then you've been thrown into a different level which looks different and you're trying to figure that one out and the map's different and you're yep. wondering if i can jump up and sometimes think i should be able to jump up there but i can't i don't know yeah it just it feels too, a little it's too busy for its own good and i did find the music did start to great after a while as well yeah. and it's hard to know what to make of it because it, it does feel original in certain ways there's not much like this cuba is probably its closest forebear or things like crystal castle yeah, or yeah, things yeah. like those those are kind of ilk but it's not particularly it's not exactly like that but it's just ill-conceived in others. There's just it's almost there. Sixty-two percent probably seems about right because it's probably about two-thirds good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one-third not good. Yeah. So whether you're not more off because it's not good. So, but you know, because it looks nice, presentation nice, but does it play well? So maybe it's a bit too high. It's not one I'd really seen before. I'd seen the adverts for it a lot, and it's based on the stupid troll dolls by the look of the adverts that were out for it. You know, the ones with the big. I, I didn't big, know that it was based on the troll well, dolls. The, ad- the advert has one of those in it. Because uh, it's a game. There's a trolls game, which is looks like it looks coming later, which looks well, like it's based on. I I've nicked that troll design because the advert and the front front page, you know, the, the front of the screen of this has got that troll look. It's one of those sort of round nose, big, you know, struck up hair. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think things. it's anything to do with particularly with that IP at all. But no, I don't either. It's just called troll. So either they've nicked the look of it and no one's noticed or whatever. But anyway, it's not More one likely I've, that not one I'd seen before. But and, and now I'm not in a rush to go back to because it just didn't feel enjoyable to play it was just a bit you know nice to look at but just underneath the hood was uh, all a bit lacking someone had uh someone had taken the battery out or something in this car and, and it would gone away and no no didn't like it call the narcs on it i think yeah narc that's weird as well isn't it all the things you can do yeah. why why they call it narc it's very strange yeah. unless it's, I the don't goblin know. land of narc yeah. goblin land of narc sounds odd anyway there we go that's not a good half of games not really <laughs> That's really not. May can May redeem itself um, in our last half of games, what we've got coming up after this. Anyway, not after this, we've got films. Well, a film. <laughs> there was one thing to go watch in May. We're going to go do that. We're going to take a quick break because I think we need to after those lot, and probably you do as well from hearing us just being so like, Ugh. Yeah, it's a bit harsh on the old brain. It really is. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back in a bit, um, and we'll look at the film for May 1988. So stay with us. Cornish pasties filter their bursting seams and some lovely smooth gravy for our show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find a whole bunch of brilliant audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. I can tell you, David once threw a toy frisbee into space for a laugh. 
That's just how he rolls. And is an amazing writer too. Check out this excerpt from his brilliant audiobook, Escape from the Commodore 64, which is available right now. She felt her energy levels go up as she approached another door and kicked it down, just like Joan Jett would have. Instinct told her to back away. It was then that the bird she had seen on the warlord's shoulder flew at her and attacked. Torn after the experience with the bull, where she hadn't wanted to fight, she did nothing to defend herself as the bird struck her and flew away. The dreaded virtual bird came in again and once more struck Sarah, who again did nothing to defend herself. She winced in pain, looking at blood seeping from her forearm, where a claw had cut her. Whoa, how good was that? I'll be having me some of that tasty audio goodness, I can tell you that. To get your own copy of that and all the other works from David, visit davidhernwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. Now, go, go, go! And we are back. There are actually three films, although there was only one on the on the list that I normally use. Um, <laughs> but I found another couple that were out that I, that I didn't know anything about them anyway. But anyway, we'll have a look at them. No. So I have nothing to add to them apart from the title, like because I don't recognise them in the slightest. But our first main film, May thirteenth, Graham, Friday. Mm. And maybe it was a Friday the thirteenth. Hopefully, it was a Friday the thirteenth. Seems apt. You could have wandered in to the cinema and gone and seen Prince of Darkness. Mm. Good old John Carpenter is back with his next one. Mm, Bit of a classic, that, really. It really is. I love this film. Um, I really do. I really do like this film. It's one of those that's got better. It's got better over time, and the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it, and the more I like it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Actually, I, I've actually watched it for this podcast. Um, I've watched, watched it recently. Really recently. Yeah, I watched it no. because I watched. I've been through all of John Carpenter's movies recently, fairly recently. But I rewatched this one specifically to to re-engage it. And there's always little bits you catch in this that are interesting. And and I sort of so I looked into it a little bit more. So there's actually some really good documentaries on the Blu-ray of this. Some new documentaries on the new Blu-ray edition because they've done a remaster. So I'd recommend okay. if you like this film, get the remaster on Blu-ray. The two documentaries that come with it are really good. Oh, I'll um, look at that. Cool. Definitely worth uh, worth a look. But yeah, what a what a classic. It's it was odd, it was odd at the time. It actually did well, but not well. This film at the box office. Well, so it, it was because it was well received by the public, who kind of liked its vibe, but the critics panned it. Yeah, I, I remember this getting reviewed on film film eighty eight by Barry Norman, I think it was, or Michael Parkinson at the time, and he hated it. They hated it. Yeah, so. they would, you can sort of see why they might. It's an odd blend, isn't it? Quantum mechanics and horror don't often get mixed together. And religion. For religion sort of as well. Religious overtones, yeah. And well, yeah, it's all a bit of an odd blend. It, mm. If you, When I was doing a little bit of digging into this, it's it's because there's a couple of Carpenter films which are genuinely is nods to the Quatermass type film. Because he's a massive mm-hmm. Quatermass fan. And this is one of them. This is this could be a Quatermass story. No, the, the, is it Byrak, the main guy in it? Um, Egg Chen, as I like to call him, but he's not Egg in this. He's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's not, no. Um, but he's basically the... Quatermass character in it, the scientist that's brought in to you know resolve the issue, and there's there's little hints of Quatermass and the pit in here. Um, you know, there's this you know they uncover this mysterious thing deep in the dark depths. There's real, it's quasi-religious overtones. There's 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 hints of all that to it. Mm. Um, but it might, I suppose, for those that are uninit- uninitiated, um, you might want to give a, a summary, I suppose, of yeah. The I mean, it's it. a, essentially, um, well, th- this is a weird thing because um, I, I, I was doing some reading, some some stuff on IMDb, but I'll I'll do the uh, the original theatrical release, and so 
this is a film that sort of uh, is is about the it's about the, the devil or it's uh, the devil but not as in the devil we sort of think of it so it's this it's this um what they call the brotherhood of sleep or something is it the brotherhood of brotherhood of i can't remember the name yeah, of this yeah yeah it's, it's the brotherhood this, of sleep that's right it's the brotherhood of sleep so it's this order of priests that have essentially been keeping um this thing which looks like this sort of green goop in a big jar uh, a massive tube under lock and key for years and years because it's essentially supposed to be the 2, devil itself. 2,000 years, yeah. Yeah, 2,000 years. And um, when the last one of them, this old priest, he dies at the beginning of it, it, it gets handed over to Donald Pleasance and he calls in the sort of help of the local, uh, are they from MIT? I don't know if they are. There's a load of sort of... It's essentially that kind of idea. He's a physics professor, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. a physics professor and a load of sort of graduate students, postgrad students by the looks of it, who, yeah, sort yeah. Of, who he asks to sort of stay over one weekend and sort of examine this thing the problem is is that it starts to wake up and uh, starts to possess them by sort of green goop flying into them and all and then all hell breaks loose this is all wrapped around they keep getting these dreams the closer they are to it where they see this dark figure emerging from the sort of church that this is in which is supposed to be sometime way into the future but uh, and it's all to do with the 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 level of sort of quantum physics where you know on the quantum level where physics completely breaks down and so is, is at that point is it religion to believe something down there and it's it's this mishmash of quantum mechanics and uh, religious belief and you know is was the devil this kind of other being that existed on a plane aside from us and so it goes from there and then they start to get possessed alice cooper is a tramp who kills someone with a bike um in it and there's and that's kind of it it's, it's a hard film to really describe because it's a film based around it's it's like a lot of carpenter's films and I think this is one of the most that sort of resembles um, the fog is very similar in tone and style in the fact that it starts off small scale and then just keeps building to a sort of crescendo. It's one of those that has a really long drawn out um, sort of that you get that sort of you know, classic sort of film theory sort of structure of a film, which is either the mountain or something or the three-act structure, and it's up and down, up and down, you know, and like that. This just films like a long climb to the end. It's just constantly sort of jagging its way to the top. Um, and it just, you know, kicks in. Usually, like Carpenter's films, about four, halfway through, 45 minutes, it just starts to kick in and then just doesn't stop. And it's what I really like about Carpenter's film. It's, it's, an, it's such an odd film to try and describe. You have to kind of... Because it's not like many other stuff. I don't think he has a style like other people, and and I think this is one of his stronger examples of that style of his style of filmmaking, in my opinion. Don't know whether you agree or not. Yeah, I think there's 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 pre- prevalent themes in this. One of which is yeah. about the nature of reality. Um, yeah, because that's what they're discussing principally, and that's why the priest the priest can't understand what this is because his representation of of his understanding of the devil and everything else has been called completely into question by the fact that he's they've been keeping this vat of liquid whatever as complete secret for years because they didn't quite know how to represent that they didn't know how to deal with that so they positioned this whole idea of the devil and everything else to cover up the fact that essentially what they had was this giant jar of inexplicable stuff yeah um, and obviously Donald Pleasant's character who's the priest who takes over from the Brotherhood of Sleep, is just at a loss as to what to do. He doesn't know. He don't, what he does know is that it's the religious questions that it's brought up, he can't he can't deal with them because religion doesn't have the answers to what's happening. Because obviously, other than that, there's other things going on. So there's a weird planetary alignment. There's a weird, there's an impending feeling of doom about this entire film from the beginning to the end, mm-hmm. all the way through. This film, is, there's no levity really in it. I mean, obviously there's silly moments such with the, some of the scenes where people are getting killed. But for every one of those moments where you've got Alice Cooper killing someone with a push bike, um, you've got some really, really amazing moments in this. There's a part where a guy is 
assembled from maggots and flies and he stood oh, calling yeah, yeah. to them and telling them that they're all going to die. And, and then he just crumbles into insects. And there's just things like that that really, they stick out in this film like because mm. it's just not quite like anything else like that. Um, there's that nature of Assault and Precinct 13, people trapped in a building with with them contained yes. inside. They can't get out. Um, but mm-hmm. there's this really weird impending sense of hopelessness and doom with this film that they simply have something that they cannot comprehend because as you as you said the the standard laws the standard laws of physics simply do not apply to what is happening mm. so they basically bury themselves this in that in this idea that whatever is in there is the exact opposite everything has its equal and opposite inside of a, a sort of a quantum mechanics type thing so you know in this kind of a notion of entanglement there's always a positive and a negative something if you but then they they dive into that kind of notion of the measurement of quantum quantum mechanics and the measurements of that that something doesn't have a tangible value until you actually measure it and then the exact opposite exists so if there's all this good in the world and things are happening there there must be some kind of anti-god particle anti-particle mm. and that's what they contend that they're dealing with but as the film progresses and as you say the the liquid inside this thing starts to awaken or whatever you would call that process it starts to manifest and that's when the film becomes it's at its most exciting because it manifests in really horrific, horrible ways. But it's not just about, you know, squirting liquid into somebody. They become completely consumed by this mm-hmm. liquid and they they can they contort into these kind of broken, almost zombie-esque figures. This woman gives birth to something. It's not quite clear what. It's all really starts to everything just starts to fall apart. And it's a really good representation of the fact that you, you're being shown and you have to contend with things that you simply cannot explain because they are not able to explain them in the context of the film. And that's a really powerful structure for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's, they, they have to fall onto some of the horror movie stuff. So obviously you're going to have, you know, people jump, there's jump scares, these things like that. And Carpenter's a master at doing that. So there's when they occur, they're going to get you. You're going to jump. You know, there's mm-hmm. even a... There's a point when a, I think a machine just moves about four feet and it's because it's really loud and screechy. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. It makes you jump. <laughs> Donald Pleasant's character is really interesting in this and the conversations that they have. They're conversations you simply don't get in horror movies anymore. They don't make them like this anymore. They don't make horror movies at all like this. They don't. If it's not some clown hacking people to pieces, then <laughs> nobody's interested in it anymore. No. This this proves that you don't have to, you can be more cerebral than that. Now, this is a blend of, like you say, religion, quantum mechanics, science fiction, and horror. And it's, it, you know, it pulls it off. It does. I, I, all, you, I, I really like this film for those things. Just some things like uh, Carpenter called it is is one of his uh, apocalypse trilogy. So he yeah, has the thing, isn't there? The, this the thing, and... this and in the mouth of madness. Yeah. Um, which is, which is part of that. But one of the things I just, um, I found on IMDb is that the television version of this is, um, I'll just read it out. It's slightly re-edited suggesting that all that takes, all that takes place in the film is just a dream that Jameson Parker is having as the main character. So after the opening credits, there's a new shot showing Parker's house from the outside, whereas the theatrical version opens with a shot of Parker trying to perform a car trick. At the beginning, after Parker watches on TV a program reporting the discovery of a new supernova, the narration goes on talking about the death of a millionaire and the discovery of a religious book in his library. All mentions of the dead priest, member of the Brotherhood of Sleep, they're all gone, they're all deleted. And during the whole film, there are new inserted sequences showing Parker sleeping dreaming in his bed. Sounds like crap versions, man. Yeah, which I'm not quite happy about. I, I don't think that kind of works. I, I like this. I like yeah. the, the the dark ending and the the, the 
you know, I'm not going to ruin the ending or anything like that. But I do like the fact that this does have because like it's like the, there's more like you said the Sultan Precinct 13 when they're stuck in the thing. That's also like the fog when they're stuck in the church at the end. Yep. Um, yep. So he does like his characters stuck in somewhere with the with the villains outside the, breaking the, in. Yeah, with the the enemies creeping around outside. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so that sort of thing, which obviously he subverts in the thing when the enemy is within, um, yep. which is you know, which is nice. But in this, it's more the end. You know, they're they're coming in that the, the mon- but even how the monsters are in this that great sequence where um what's his face who plays uh the young the young guy who's in big trouble Dennis Yeun is Dennis, it? Dennis Yee Yeun. or whatever his name is Dennis Yee, where he's stuck in the uh, cupboard, that cupboard yeah. and he's trying to dig his way out when they're trying yeah. to get in that's really tense that sequence he's really yes. you can genuinely feel his panic and like horror at, you know getting caught yeah. in it brilliantly done that sequence but yeah so it's all going off inside and then I do like the fact that you've got like a, a cut price Tom Atkins. Yeah, he's, he's got a very conspicuous moustache in that film. <laughs> he's like, he's like okay. can you be a bit more Tom Atkins like when he's casting? I bet he went in without a moustache. He went, you'd be great if you could grow a moustache. Yeah. Um, you, don't know, you don't know Tom Atkins, do you? <laughs> yeah. So it's right. like, right, right, like, like the fog as well. Like, you know, they have to end up in bed together for, for no reason, which, you know, which happens like in the fog yeah. with Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins. Conspicuous. There's a very, there's a very similar structure and pacing to this, like the fog. Um, but this, this is just great, and and it's such a shame that it, it didn't do particularly well. I think it's just people didn't know what to make of it. It's you yeah. know, in in yeah. May 1988, this drops, and you're like, what the, what is this? I mean, I I yeah. remember seeing it on video when it first came out, and I just loved it because he thought it was very different, and I've just grown to love it even more because I think it's it's one of my favourites of his because it's it he said in some in an interview that it was every shot in it is shot with a purpose because it was on such a low budget because he didn't have much money because it's his um he left studio filmmaking this was his I think his first one after that after big trouble or something like that um because of the experience he'd had with that so um he left the studio to do something a bit more independent and so they didn't have as much money so everything is planned and and every shot is you know premeditated and thought through and you can see that and you know and we've always said carpenter is such a great he has a, a really great command of widescreen cinematography mm, and absolutely. filling filling that frame with information and and just you know the way he structures a scene and the way he structures his um imagery within that it's always really good and and they filmed the um uh, they recorded that uh the the sequences the dream sequences um the way they're done is they were um recorded on video and then filmed off a of tv yeah i can imagine there's some some maverick so filmmaking it. going on there yeah. I mean the um, the soundtrack is amazing for this, without a doubt. I mean it's one of yeah. it's a real return to Carpenter. You know, it's a really good, really good sort of nice heavyweight synthy piece that sits alongside of this. Really accompanies this particular captures the mood perfectly of this. Mm. So when you get that, you know, that kind of down, 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 when you get that, you know, and it's just lots of it's just it's it's clever like that. It's um, kind of it, it mix, what I like about it. It mixes. You've got that sort of, like I said, oh, that sort of angelic sound along with the the down, 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 which is like the beastly mm. undertow of it, like the the low down yeah. and the high notes, which is that kind of, as like I said, it's capturing that you know angels and saints, you know, understanding quantum, that dark and light, negative, positive is reflected in that soundtrack. Absolutely, I mean, it's dealing with you know all that quantum mechanics um, stuff that's in this. I mean, this is pretty early on into that as well. Now, this wasn't common parlance, you know, you weren't. Quantum mechanics at the time, obviously, it's a massive, massive branch of physics now. And in fact, you know, they recently proved even more crazy things about it when they won the Nobel Prize for it, because it proved that it was actually even crazier than they first thought. Mm. But so to tie that in um, and to try and convey the concepts of that, you know, people were sort of jokingly talking about things like Schrodinger's cat at this time. So to throw that into all of this and then start to question the reality of it all and then have all the really weird things around it. No, I think it's it's a brave choice to do that. Um, and remember that the cast for this is not what you'd call like a killer 
A-list cast of, you know, Hollywood mega money. This is, you know, this is some Carpenter stalwarts, you know, all chucked into this film. And they're obviously doing it for the love of it. Um, Hence the reason you've got Alice Cooper in there. He'll always turn up to a horror movie if he can stab somebody. Um, (laughs) Well, he he supposedly came along asking if he could watch him do some of the special effects. Um, And according to IMDb, he came along, asked him to do, see if he could uh, watch some of the special effects, obviously for a stage show probably or whatever. And when he was there, they sort of offered him a part and he said, yeah, I'll bring my bike. And that bike that he uses is his. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. Maybe he turned up on his bike. There's the kind of the deliberately, and I say I'm not going to give a spoiler because I think people should go and watch Prince of Darkness if you haven't, go and watch it. Um, but it has got a what you know a classic carpenter you know classic carpenter ending, and I'm going to sort of leave it there because I think it would be it'd be wrong to spoil that mm. particular ending. But it's it's never going to it's a carpenter, so it's never going to end how you think. So um, I definitely recommend people go and if they haven't ever experienced Prince of Darkness, um, go and find seek out the you know the remaster that's out there because the quality is astounding and it, they're all shot on really beautiful massive widescreen prints as well so the cleanup for that is the spectacular it's like when you see the re- when you've seen the cleanup for the remaster of the uh, the fog or um they live or um the thing the on blu-ray they're amazing to watch yeah, in, yeah like the 4k is. they're absolutely mind-blowing so this is no exception to that and um, you've just got to suspend your understanding of what common horror tropes are a little bit just broaden your understanding of what is scary about things because Yes, and you've always gonna you know you've got people being killed and chopped up and all sorts of stuff in this, and there's all sorts of you know gruesome stuff for those that like that sort of thing. But there's some really sort of scary moments in this that sort of will live with you a bit, and I think that's a real power to this film. Not many of Carpenter's films do what that always. The Fog does it. There's a moment in the Fog when um, Jamie um, Lee Curtis's character is sat. Um, whilst while Tom Atkins is tucking to the doctor outside, and the body of one of the people from the seagrass gets up and yeah. just walks towards her. And it's a genuinely terrifying moment in that film because it's just, it's terrifying. It's like, it's never explained. It's, it's, it's just, it's genuinely terrifying. Mm-hmm. Or, I, always, I always wonder with that scene, just on the, on that scene, I always wonder, I can't, I don't know the, the, the uh, lineage of it, but I always reminded of the scene in uh, Salem's Lot with that scene where she, where Mary Glick, I, I can't, I, I don't know for it. Yeah. I'm not sure. I can't, they're around about the same time, aren't they? Around 81. Yeah. I don't know which yeah. is, which came first, but that they both have that someone the sort of hand jerking underneath the, the cover. Yeah, and everything, but I so. think my, 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 um, I suppose what I'm saying is, is um, yes, because there's a lot of similar scenes and yeah, actually probably Salem's lot is a good place to start with that. But in this, in that it's kind of contextually explained, she's a vampire waking up. Yes. Uh, that, so this is a dead, this is a dead fisherman. It just gets up and just, yeah staggers towards her with a scalpel it's like why it's supposed to be under under the water like for a month or something like that and it's and it's never explained and then that's kind of what happens in prince of darkness in the sense not that there's a dead fisherman that wakes up on a you know a gurney but there are things that simply just don't get explained because they don't need to be explained or they can't be explained and that's what i really like about prince of darkness there's parts in it that that, that are inexplicable because that's the what they're trying to figure out in the film they are simply inexplicable they don't know What's causing it or why? This mm. thing in this jar is, but they is there. This 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 thing, this present thing. There's this ancient text that's been written over, written over, written over. Somehow they're connected, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. But they know they're on a timeline because of other events that start to happen now. Yeah. So it's a great film, Prince of Darkness. It isn't my favorite Carpenter movie, but after ro- watching it recently, I have to say, I, it re- apart from some of the stupid Donald Pleasance bits, because this this some some of his dialogue where he goes into full-blown scary mode um <laughs> when he does stuff like that i'm thinking it's just a bit trite but you know what it's easy to look back and think that that's kind of the character he plays in these movies you know the it, he is the rash he is meant to be so you know bayrak Bay and his team are the scientists 
and here's the here's the religion, and neither of them can explain what's going on, and mm. that makes it quite compelling. So definitely go check it out. Indeed, there we go. So that's that. A couple of days later, I presume if you were in London, <laughs> you could have gone seen yeah. Sour Sweet. Yeah. Um, something about a Hong uh, Hong Kong married couple, Chen and Lily, emigrating to England to become parents yeah. to a little baby boy, struggling through life. Yeah, it was never going to be. I've never even heard of it. It was Mike Newell directed it. What else did Mike Newell do? Mike Newell, uh, I don't know, uh, but I can tell you if you wish. Uh, let's have a look. Mike but Newell. I've never heard of this. You know, it says when Chen lets his colleague fuck seduce him down a path of mounting gambling debts. He is recruited as a drug courier for a shadowy Chinese tribe. I, d- I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like you know, gr- gritty urban UK. Is it based in the UK? Yeah, urban realism. Yeah, I don't know. He did uh, lots of British stuff. Waking in Dance with a Stranger, The Good Father, Sour Sweet, Smith and, Smith and Jones in Small Doses. Yeah. Uh, he did some Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Four, he, oh, he directed Four Weddings and a Funeral. Well, that's where I knew his name from then. There you go. And Donny Brasco. Yeah. Oh, okay. And pushing tin, who had a bit of a yeah, bit of a run. And he did and he did Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Well there you go. He's, he's obviously got a he's a bit of a you know, a good hands on person. Goblet of Fire is one of the better Harry Potter movies as well. Yeah, but he also did Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Yeah. I don't really know much about that. <laughs> you don't want to. It wasn't very good. Awful. But no, I've um, I've never seen Sour Sweet. I guess it's a low budget UK film. Quite know. possibly, probably. I, I couldn't tell you much about it. Probably won the, you know, the, the British version of the Oscars. What is it there? The Baffins. <laughs> it may get a mention in our golden bread bins. The Hovis. Uh, <laughs> um, and finally, I didn't have a date for this one. It just came out some point in May. Uh, Stealing Heaven. Uh, in some in medieval Paris, a young religious scholar and the beautiful niece of a local patrician fall madly in love and consummate their passion for each other. In the religious yeah. uproar that follows, they are condemned. And brutally punished. Yeah, it's a bit of a soft, you know, that 80s softcore shit that came out. Is it? So, yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's in the same realm as those, um, what were them crappy movies that... Um, oh, not the uh, What's-Her-Face, Sherilyn Fenn stuff. Yeah, and, like, uh, all that case. Uh, po- poison Ivy and thing. Was it Poison yeah, Ivy? Something like that. There was a whole slew of them that came out, wasn't there? Was that, yeah, yeah, there's just loads of them. And it's that kind of, you know, it's... Red, just, it's, Red Shoe Diaries. That's the one. Red Shoe Diaries, yeah. So, no. Ooh, <laughs> Narrated but, by know, David Duchovny, they were, weren't they? It's just not good. And this is this is one of those. So. All right, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Anyway, that was it. That was the films in the month of May. You just went to see Prince of Darkness and then sat and contemplated yeah. the... Uh, Go and watch it again, I say. Yeah, so, yeah. You just sat and contemplated the meaning of existence at that point when you came out of that. You would, yeah. Bow, bow, for, the, for the rest of the month. And, yeah, and try and get and then, the soundtrack. And try and do your best uh, Donald Pleasance impersonation. (laughs) Did you fear that? The room just got colder. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Very good. That's very good. (laughs) My cow. That's mine. (laughs) It's not in a party. (laughs) 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 He throws the uh, thing at the mirror at the end, whatever. Yeah. Oh, careful. You're giving nice spoilers. Well, I'm saying he throws the thing at a mirror. (laughs) Nothing's given away. True. Nothing's given away. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. She just you makes that noise. <laughs> That's the Why one. weren't we told? <laughs> yeah. That'll all become relevant to you when you watch it. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you haven't seen it, you won't know what the hell we're on about. If you have, you'll just be sat there going, oh, he does sound like that. Just, he does sound like that. He oh, does. he does. He does. He, he really does. does you have that. to say it, though, in your best uh, what's-his-face voice. Oh, when Mary came to uh, my door. <laughs> Alan Bennett voice. <laughs> Alan Bennett's bloody <laughs> Prince of Darkness. 
E, one day I found a green liquid in the in the in the basement. It wasn't very nice. So I got on, I got nice Mabel around. I woke up the brotherhood of sleep, and they were all really tired. <laughs> Absolutely ironic, really. I offered them a biscuit though, digestive, of course, because they, they seemed like a nice lot. Bow bow bow. Well, I hope that doesn't leak on the floor because I haven't got a mop because it broke yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Snapped in two. Cheap mop it was from B and M. Anyway, enough of that. Enough of that. <laughs> enough of the films. That's the films for 1988. Uh, we're going to go take a break. We'll be back in a moment. We've got four more games. We've got some crapverts, charts, the usual end of month nonsense. So we'll see you in a bit. A 10 kilogram bag of liquor shore sorts and dolly mixture to our show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find an amazing collection of audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David currently holds the world record on Targ for throwing a shoe. He's also the author of the fabulous book, Escape from the Commodore 64. In fact, here is a little audio bite. We're now on the deck of a gargantuan galactic space freighter, Reese added helpfully. Apparently, the droids here, you'll meet one soon, turned against their masters. There are many decks here. Not the easiest game to beat, but not only is it worth a try, it's also one of my favourite games. Nell took in the consoles, lifts and swirling floor mats around them. She stood on one of the mats and felt her energy levels rise, happy electronic bleeps accompanying her. Wow, Nell said. I feel better already. Well, bless my barnacles. That is some good fishing. Please visit davidhearnwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com to catch a whole lot more. And we are back for our last part to cover May, May 1988. We have four more games, some crapverts, charts, and the usual bump. So without further ado, let's get into these. Graham, it's time for you to head out on the briny, briny ocean once again and tell us all about what it's like to have some power at sea. Okay, then. This was from Accolade, developed by Distinctive Software. The coding chops are Don Metric. Jeff Sember, Hanno Lemke, and Kevin P. Pickle. And Pickle Kev, everyone. It's Pickle Kev, remember? <laughs> yeah, he's back. And, um, Pickle Kev. <laughs> Pickle Kev. And um, <laughs> the graphics here are Tony Lee and John Bokler. Geddy's musician. brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tony Lee, Geddy Lee, Derry Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Lee. Lee. Happy <laughs> Lee and so on and so forth. Uh, and the musician is uh, Chris Hattelid or Hatelid. So this is Power at Sea from Accolade. Uh, 995, uh, 69% he got in Zap, which is a bit odd. But let's sort of have a look and see maybe why that might be, because it's obviously a you know, big battle, sea battle game. So um, this is a principally a reenactment game, actually. So this is the reenactment of the Battle of, um, I think it's Leyte Gulf. I think that's how you say it. It's L-E-Y-T-E. So it's Leyte, Leyte. I'm not sure how you say that. Mm-hmm. Let's call it Leyte Gulf. Leyte Gulf, which was the largest naval battle of World War Two, And by some criteria, the largest naval battle in history with, and get this, over 200,000 naval personnel involved. Wow, that's a lot. It was fought in the waters near the Philippine island of Leyte. Like, we'll call it late. I'm going to say Leyte because it sounds better. It's Leyte, Samar, and Luzon. From the 23rd to the 26th of October in 1944, between the combined American and Australian forces and the Imperial Japanese Navy. 
or the IJN, as part of the invasion of Latay, which aimed to isolate Japan from the countries that it had occupied in Southeast Asia, a vital source of industrial and oil supplies. By the time of the battle, Japan had fewer capital ships, that's aircraft carriers and battleships, left than the Allied forces, um, had total aircraft carriers in the Pacific, which underscored the disparity in force strength at that point in the war. Regardless, the Japanese Navy mobilized nearly all of its remaining major naval vessels in an attempt to defeat Allied invasion, but it was repulsed by the US Navy's 3rd and 7th fleets. The battle consisted of four main separate engagements, the Battle of the Sibian Sea, the Battle of the Suriagio Strait, the Battle of the Cape Inago, and the Battle of Samar, as well as lesser actions. It was the first battle in which Japanese aircraft carried out organized kamikaze attacks, and it was the last naval battle between battleships in history. There has never been a battle like this ever since ever again. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Mm. Uh, the Japanese Navy suffered heavy losses and never sailed a comparable force thereafter and haven't done since because at that point it was stranded for a lack of fuel in their bases for the rest of the war. So they could not affect the successful Allied invasion of Leyte in the end. So they simply decimated their Navy to the point when they didn't have any really any fuel left anyway. Mm-hmm. So this battle is an epic in naval history terms it is a whopper um, and i cannot imagine two hundred thousand naval personnel that i can't imagine how many ships that actually equates to in terms of how big a sea battle this was it is humongous mm-hmm. and of course the kamikazes well we know what kamikaze you know what they are and how that works i won't go into explaining all that to the game then so obviously this is set at the time of that game the time is october 23rd 27th 1944 you're in that same location as I've just described, and you're going up against Japan Navy, Japanese Navy's last line of defense. You are the commander of the U.S. fleet, um, and you are charged with the mission of invading and liberating Leyte Island. Uh, Leyte. In front of you, of course, is the mighty Imperial fleet, and they are not going to give up easily. The battle for Leyte Gulf marked the first appearance of, as I've said, the kamikaze, which actually translates to divine wind. Um, each kamikaze was armed with a 550-pound bomb and not enough fuel to return home, so they were just basically flying bombs piloted bombs devastating when they hit a ship so the importance of this battle is historical fact if you're successful you'll break the back of the imperial navy and obviously you leave the shores of japan vulnerable to win at pirate sea you must take control of four heavily protected japanese bases within 96 hours this is the context of the game they are represented on the maps by little flags you must defend your fleet from attacking enemy fighters kamikazes and destroyers so in this game you take control of actually three allied warships in this theatre of battle, on a mission to take over the bases. Your fleet consists of an Iowa-class battleship, an Intrepid-class aircraft carrier, and a General John Pope-class troop cargo ship. Each of them carry different weapon ordinances, with the exception of the troop carrier, which is your fuel and your troops. And they all travel at varying speeds, but they are all tough, old, classic naval ships. So there's no cruise missiles or anything here, or um, surface-to-air missiles. Those things didn't really happen at this time. This is old-fashioned, massive cannons, guns, AA guns, shooting at things and all of that. Um, things start in the game with a decent intro title screen and some stirring, I think slightly sampled, to quote Mike Oldfield, uh, music. And then you are into the game and you're deciding on your resources. How many how many fighter aircraft and dive bombers will you need? How many troops and fuel? It's a bit of experimentation and with some guidance from the manual, which is pretty extensive, um, you essentially need to be prepared for the different kinds of attack and defense you're going to come across in the game. To seek enemy ships, you need to attack with fighters first, then dive bombers. So you need to think about that and the balance and ratio of having those. You'll, you won't need as many dive bombers as you will fighters, but you've obviously got to get the balance right. The troops you carry impacts your fuel. Uh, that in, obviously, it's in turn, impacts your range, but you need troops to be able to take over the bases when you attack them, assault bases. So you need to think about that. These are all the parameters of the game which you come to understand as you play and lead to sort of experimentation because you're not always going to get the mixture and, and that stuff right. Once you're happy with that, you'll hit done. 
And it's to the themed uh, mission debrief, which is told through a kind of a medium, sort of a newspaper sort of type effect. A bit similar to other games of this type, Ace of Aces kind of idea. There's a little bit of Ace of Aces heritage in this game, in the way that they've tried to capture some of the thematics. Um, but I'll come to that. But anyway, so that's kind of the, 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 the theming of this. It's akin to Ace of Aces. There's a little bit of the train here as well. Um, it's that general oeuvre of the game. So it's kind of keeping the tone of the game by surrounding the perimeters of the gameplay itself with you know theme-related stuff. Well, you know, in this case, it's newspaper clippings and things like that. Mm-hmm. From then, you go to the bridge view, which I really liked because um, as, as I've been actually on the bridge of many ships my, with my dad being in the Navy for such a long time, um, it has got actually got the kind of right vibe about that. That's actually not far off the way it kind of works in a ship like that. So it was strange when I saw that. Um, so cleverly across the top two thirds of the screen in a kind of semicircle are your fleet operation uh, operators or your officers that operate them. And so from left to right, you've got communications, navigation, damage, and weapons. As the captain, you are positioned at the bottom middle with the view from just behind your head and shoulders. You can either turn your head towards the officer you wish to engage with and use the joystick or press the, you know, use the joystick button to sort of talk to them. Or you can press the function keys F1, F3, F5, and F7, which will hop between the, th- the four different views. When you first arrive on the bridge, your orders will have been received by your comms officer, so you have to go to them. And he looks at you. The fact they all do that, they all look at you to let you know that they've got something to talk to you about. They sort of face you. Mm-hmm. This can often mean um, that you, the comms officer and another officer will be facing you because comms on the ship are vital, but so is the chain of command. So the comms officer will tell you that they're enemy ships, and the weapons officer will then give you a sit rep about the current status of the ship and things like that. So you'll get all of the information coming to you from these various different things. You don't have to just necessarily keep rotating your head around. Like, I know, what do you, what do you think? What do you think? You know, you might feel like you do that way, but you can always skip between these views from any of the views. So if you're in one view, you can just press the F key and get straight to it. So from the communications view, that's where you're going to receive all your messages. These are actually cleverly color coded. So you'll know the latest ones are in white. After 30 minutes, they turn yellow. After 60 minutes, they turn um, cyan. Now, it's important to remember that you've got a fixed time to be able to get all four of those bases. So everything happens in that 96-hour framework, sailing on the cross, getting these messages, when they happen, what's in them. Um, they tend to vary from information about certain things, certain bases, certain things that are happening to action messages. You're under attack where, you know, and that kind of thing. So you need to be checking in on those pretty regularly, and he will keep looking at you and sort of, you know, so you need to keep in his check on your comms is vital. If you ignore an action message after 20 minutes, you cannot actually take any action on it. So, and that can have devastating consequences for your fleet. Um, if you've got kamikaze pilots on the way and you ignore them, you are not going to be winning this game, I can tell you now. <laughs> so you need to be on top of your comms, but you would be anyway. You know, your comms are your, really your bread and butter of what's going on. In the navigation, that's where you plot the course of the fleet. Similar in many ways to PHM Pegasus, a couple of the screens are here. Um, and that kind of the other game that came after that. Um, you presented with the map view, which indicates the various enemy bases, enemy air bases, your position, of course, and the crosshairs, which you control with the joystick. Using that, you can plot your destination and up to three waypoints. Each one is numbered, so you can... And also, there's a couple of key commands. If you press D, it'll delete the last marker. And if you press the R key, it jumps straight back to the crosses over your ship, so you don't have to sort of be endlessly scrolling your crosses around. It can take time. Time is of the essence here. Um, so you don't have to use all three waypoints, of course. You can just set one or two. Once you set course, you press S to bring up your engine speed control, and then you move the joystick left or right to increase the speed. They're not dissimilar controls in the way it sort of operates, albeit they're different things, in the way that the train operated in that kind of way. So, you know, it's fairly rud- it's sort of selective control, rudimentary control in the moment, back out of that control, and that's kind of how it operates across this game mm-hmm. anyway. So left and right, obviously, increase and decrease the speed of the engine, or you select the speed you want to aim for, and then you press the fire button to do that. That's nice and easy. From then on, your fleet is en route to your chosen destination. 
at the speed you've indicated. If you want to accelerate time, which is a very useful thing, and you will need to do this, um, you can press F8 or Shift F7, and that will create the acceleration in time. You'll know that because the border goes red on the game. And so you know you're in time skip mode, if you like. Yeah, I, I can sort of see why they added that because, you know, you, you could spend a lot of time just trundling around in this, but you know, maybe that's how you want to say that. I don't know. But anyway, you can do that. Your next view is the damage control, which just gives you indications of the status of the ships in your fleet. It can range from no damage to severe. And since you can't administer any repairs at sea because of the time constraints of the mission, this means that this is all really to inform you of the status of things. So you need to keep an eye on that because your ships in this, as they get damaged, become less effective. So if your engines get damaged, they slow down. If the decks of your um, so if your battleship's large guns are damaged, they can no, take longer to reload. If they get taken out, you've got to return to base. If your aircraft carrier gun, AA guns are damaged, they're less effective, leaving you more susceptible to kamikaze attacks, which will damage your flight deck. If your flight deck is damaged, you can't launch the same number of fighters. And so you get the idea that there's a sort of a knock-on effect if your cargo ship containing your troops gets damaged that directly affects your fuel which directly impacts your missions viability so you've got to keep an eye on all of that and that's really what that screen's for is to just because after every battle you get after battling encounter you'll get a summary of that encounter and that can tell you sort of roughly where the status of your ships are you're never going to come out of a battle with this unscathed i can tell you that not really um, and then finally you've got your weapons control and this is where you can set four possible battle orders that's launch planes which is obviously that's launched, that's ordered this against enemy destroyers. You've got man large guns, and that's used against enemy destroyers, and that's an alternative to launching planes, because sometimes, and I'll come to how that works in a moment, but sometimes if you're they're closer to you, um, or you've ended up sailing closer to them, then you, you might be able to just take them out with your large guns. If man anti-aircraft guns, which is obviously how you're going to defend yourself against attacking fighters and kamikazes, and then there's assault base, which is where you fire your large guns against the fortified um, base, uh, base parts, the pillboxes and things like that. Um, to try and weaken the base strength in pr to prepare it for when you're going to land troops in there. Um, the final command there is return to bridge, which obviously returns to bridge. You can just press spacebar or press the F keys to go directly where you want. Um, in those, you move the cursor up a key, uh, with the cursor up and down with the joystick, so you just got a limited range of selections, and then you preferably press fire to select. So that contextual selection is working quite nicely there. Uh, in addition to selecting weapons operations, you've got fleet troops, fuel, fighters, and bomber status. They're all shown in the lower portion of that screen as well to give you a kind of a running idea of what's happening at any given time. So, and so to the game and how it plays out, there are a number of mini games really of this that all link together. Um, as you sail your fleet, you will undoubtedly come across enemy ships that are patrolling slash sailing the area. When this happens, your comms officer will raise the enemy ship spotted on radar alarm and its battle stations. So you can choose the appropriate action. You can either send in your fighter planes to first knock out the enemy ship's AA batteries and then follow this up with your dive bombers that swoop in and drop bombs, sinking that ship. Or you can wait until they're in range of your large guns and try and land a couple of massive hits. The former sees you selecting up to five fighter aircraft whose mission is to destroy the AA guns on the port bow, uh, sorry, on the port bow, at uh, the port and bow of the ship, or left and front of the ship, if you like it's two. You take the skies in this mini flight sim view. The upper area is the cockpit, where you can see the crosshairs for your machine guns. Um, both the enemy ship and their guns, they flash red when they fire at you, so you get like a little flash. And below that are your gauges for your airspeed, your attitude. I didn't realize it was called that, but that's actually uh, the other posh name for your horizon and your mm. altitude. As you swoop and move around, you'll gradually you'll see the enemy ship coming towards you, and you can try and take out the AA guns. You essentially get five passes if you've, however many aircraft you've launched, that's how many goes or attempts you get to try and knock out the AA guns. If you miss, well, you haven't knocked them out. If you get shot down, you haven't knocked them out, and it will automatically jump to the next plane. So if your plane doesn't hit the mark or knock out the guns, it will automatically switch to the next one. If that's hit or destroyed by the AA fire, you'll auto switch. 
if you lose all of your planes, well, that means you fail to take out the A-guns and your dive bombers are going to have a real tough old time. It's going to get shot out of the sky. Quite tough, that. Um, so you need to take out at least one of the two A-guns for your dive bombers to even stand a chance of sinking the ship. There's no point in doing it otherwise. So after you've done that, if you have successfully knocked out any one of those things, and you will probably not least one of them out, in the next section, um, you, you control the dive bombers. And as you zoom towards the ship, the view of dropping up with the view of slightly changes in the view of your cockpit changes slightly. You still got the same parameters and gauges, but it's a slightly different view. And the idea is that you've got to try and land a big heavy bomb on, on the ship. If you success, if you're un- sorry, if you're successful, you'll sink the ship with a nice little animation. If not, you've lost valuable resources and time and your mission is in jeopardy. After reaching county, you'll get a summary screen telling you the outcome. If you've stained large, um, if you've stained any damages or losses, that will tell you there's even a little bit of music back then and then it's back to the bridge for your next encounter if you try not to take the ship out with your 16 inch guns it adopts a view akin to the phm pegasus you have a binoculars view at the top of the screen which shows the magnified view of the enemy vessel and your guns at the bottom you first control your ship and get into the best position you can which is essentially broadsiding it left and right on the joystick controls your heading and up down controls your speed once you're happy with your heading and position hit the fire button to lock it in and then pressing the F1 key will activate your gun controls. Left and right on the joystick controls your aim left and right. Up and down increases or decreases your elevation. And then the fire button, well, it's obvious what that does. Uh, you can toggle between controlling the ship and the guns with F1. So you need to try and get close enough to be able to do that, but not too close. Because if you get too close to them, they are going to sink you. As simple as that. You're yep. not stupid. Mm-hmm. So if you sail to an enemy base, you can attack that. And then you can try and um, overrun it or um, launch your troops to it. So the first thing you've got to do is... Um, take out any of the pillboxes and bunkers and anything like that. So your binoculars, it'll go to the kind of binocular view with your, with your um, large guns view again. Um, and you maneuver the sort of guns accordingly in the same sort of way. The color of the flag on the map indi- would have indicated the strength of the base. So red flags are very strong. Purple are quite strong and green are strong. Red bases are supplied by other bases. So you've got to actually destroy the lesser bases to weaken the red ones. A full-on assault on a red base is not recommended in this game. You, you won't do it. You'll be, you'll be sunk. Um, there are basically two parts to the base assault. Part one, you need to destroy the enemy artillery. So that part in part two, you can land your troops and take over the base. Your battleship essentially sails past the enemy base at about four knots and about 5,000 meters away. As you sail past, you will fire your guns at the targets at the base. You move in, so you need to lead the targets, which is more difficult than it sounds. And you eventually come up to the fortified concrete bunkers. You need to inflict as much damage to them so you're able to send in your troops. That's the whole point of what you're doing. You're weakening the entire structure of the base. At the end of that part, the summary will tell you how much strength they have remaining and how much damage you've done, plus any losses and damages you may have incurred. If it's medium or below, send in your troops to take over the base and fly your flag. If it's not, then you'll need to do another attack. But by then, they will have also repaired and replaced some of the damaged artillery from before. So when launching your troops, you need to choose how many... Sorry, so you need to think about that. When launching your troops, you choose how many to send in and the Marine Commander will give you some updates as the progress of progress or ask for reinforcements if it's not going so well. The troops you launch are subtracted from your troop title that you selected at the beginning and any remaining troops after the battle, if you win, um, will remain at that base. So you've got to be very careful of that because, and it's a very important detail, you need to make sure you've got enough troops to be able to take over all four bases. So if you take a, you plow all your men into base one and then you've only got three men to try and take... Um, and all the other bases you're not mm-hmm. going to do so well no. of course it's not all plane sailing either you will come under attack in this game from enemy kamikaze planes as I've said This, when this happens you get an alert sound you need to man your own AA guns and shoot them from the skies if they get through your defence and hit your ship they cause significant damage or sink you if, you t- if you're unlucky the view changes to a similar view as the others 
And this time you're firing your AA guns as aircraft zoom towards you. Quite nice, but it, you know, it, it sort of has a look and feel of something we've played before. Eventually they'll stop <laughs> and then you'll see, again see how much damage uh, you've sustained. So there is a lot to this game in some ways and there are some odd things about it as well. Graphically, there's a good deal of content here. While alerts are sounded in a similar way to Ace of, similar way to Ace of Aces, you get some mini action themed images. Indeed, they're dotted throughout the game. For alerts, you get for alerts when you take over bases, win, lose, etc. You get some nice visuals that drive that kind of thematic along a bit. The view of the bridge in this is actually pretty good, and the controls for the four officer views, I think, are really simple, and I think that works. It's one of the, the best screens of that type I've seen. Indeed, the controls here are good throughout the game, I think, and they were good in the train, and they were good in Ace of Aces, so you know they've got quite good at that. Graphics for the ship views work. Um, views all work reasonably well, and the map view is. Although simple, it is effective. You can do what you need to do. You know, you can navigate your ship around with the waypoint. The flight sim elements of this are okay. The cockpit graphics are a bit basic, and the view is slabs of blue with massive enlarged ship sprites. They're a bit disappointing, actually. Those, um, though it's a sacrifice for the sake of speed, and I get that, it's the weakest part of the viewpoint for me. The enemy battleships just end up looking like giant blocky kids' toys, and distinguishing the guns on the deck is pretty much impossible, really. The bomber view is essentially the same, and the, the ship sinking view even though you see the bomb hit it and there's kind of a nice reflection in the water, it might have worked better if you actually saw the ship break apart and sink. Give something like that the drama that it deserves. You know, my dad once described, because my dad had been been in all sorts of situations when he was in the Navy and the Merchant Navy, and he'd, he'd seen a ship sink and he described it as one of the most heartbreaking and horrific experiences of his life to watch a ship sink. He said, because it happened so fast, it's so disturbing and it's so silent in, in weird ways. It's, you know, you've, you're so used to the sound of a ship's engines when they stop and the ship just breaks and just sinks. It can happen in two or three minutes. It's fast um, if it's depending on how it's been damaged. So he, he described it that way. He said it was, it's, the, it's horrific thing to see. So that drama of that isn't conveyed here, I think. And that's part, part and parcel of the bit of the problem I'll come to in a minute. So attacking the ships with your large guns is more satisfying as the player. Those, those parts are better than flying the airplanes but it's still hampered by that odd control system. And it, it does kind of work, but trying to sail your ship a little bit, shoot a little bit, sail a bit, it's just, I don't know. With the ropey graphics, it just feels a little bit more difficult than it should be. That It feels a little bit less impressive than it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, the assault views for the bases are okay, but they play out like a weak beachhead, really. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, and that's you know, okay, that's kind of what it is. But considering how long ago beachhead came out, you know, this is pretty simplistic what we're talking about here. It's not doing anything really that impressive. The train did some really impressive visuals to keep that going this doesn't have that they work the binoculars view kind of works it is borrowed but it does work okay but again it feels a bit soulless um and it feels like some of this game like for the, when you're assaulting the bases it feels like it's the, just the ship on rails game and you're just scrolling over a, a landscape aiming at things it's not doesn't feel like it's it doesn't link properly to the whole thing it just doesn't feel as coherent as the train did as an experience the launching of the troops could also have been more exciting after all of that, it's like, choose your number. Troops are launched, right. I need more troops. It's not very exciting, that. It could have been... They could, that's the point where another beachhead level could have come in. No, follow me, man. It's, it's it's missing that kind of thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. so all in all, this is a good game, but it's not as good or as approachable as the train, nor are the graphics as good. It does attempt to lean on the more emotive notions that Ace of Aces did. And while it's okay, it somehow also misses the mark, not quite evoking it enough of... Any empathy or feeling of wartime drama, there's just not enough. I think the drama and the mission of the train felt more personal and more focused because it was a couple of guys stealing a train from the Nazis. Here, controlling a fleet, while good and enjoyable in the the main, feels a bit soulless and the enemy is less obvious. The horror and the terror of kamikaze fighters doesn't quite come across here at all. They're just planes swarming around the sky. Those are terrifying things. Ships sinking are terrifying, big drama, dramatic things. 
you know, a, a kamikaze fighter hitting a hitting a ship for the first time. If you've never encountered that, where's that drama in this game? Where's the terror, the horror, and the feeling of the terror of those things happening? It just just doesn't come across. And instead, it feels a bit more really like a sixteen-inch cannon simulator with some added ship bits thrown in at times. So, like I said, this thing's to like. The sounds do work. Graphics are quite good when they're good. Loading isn't actually that painful, which is nice. Um, it's, it feels like a complete game. There's no bugs that I encountered or anything like that. There's lots of different ways you could approach this to play it, I guess. Um, and I did enjoy my time with it, as I tend to do with these kind of ship games. Um, but it was missing the drama of the war that you're in. It's missing the peril. It's missing that feeling that there's an impending thing. And the train captured that. The train had that feeling about the impending nature of what was happening and the trying to escape and all of that in this timeline. This just doesn't feel like it has that. It's just missing that which I guess explains Zap's review and why I kind of left it feeling less than happy than I did compared to the train. But that's me. What about you? Yeah, I think this was probably going to be me more in your uh, wheelhouse than mine. But yeah, after selecting my resource and getting my mission, <laughs> I found myself in the role of Homer, Homer Simpson in the power plant as I stood behind far more talented people and acted like I knew what I was doing in that Scorpio episode. He's like, these are you guys, Homer. You make do, and he's like, uh, you can you work more harder? Yes, you're Homer. That's yeah. what I felt like. I felt that's why I was like, uh, I just sort of looking at these people going. They were all every now and again they turn to me and go, "You all right?" I'm like, uh, what can you tell me? You obviously know what you're doing. I'm going to act like I do. That's what I felt like. It's weird. Next thing I noticed that this was made by Don Matrick. Um, I think we've mentioned it before, but he was responsible for the debacle that was the Xbox One launch. He was head of Microsoft Gaming Division um, okay. and did, undid everything that got, they got right with the 360. He, he went. He since went off to Zynga and now just sits. How was the Xbox One launch? It's a disaster. Just as an aside, oh, it was dreadful, dreadful. You should watch it because they focus. You know, you know how everyone loved the 360. The 360 yeah, kind I just of. I wonder, wonder yeah, what Xbox, it was that went wrong because they focused. It was essentially called the TV, TV, TV launch because they they said, oh, everyone's coming with a Connect. It's all connect. You you, know, you can plug your telly into this and go out to you know you can plug your cable box and it's, it's a dreadful dre- it, and people are like where's the games you don't oh, need right. them anymore so it's a multimedia center kind of yeah thing, yeah it was awful oh, awful it's never um, it was basically like what happened with the uh, xbox from about 2000 when, when they started chasing the, the wii and with the connect and everything like that um they've only just started uh, to get up anyway anyway it's a bit beachhead this isn't it <laughs> And I think yeah, that's yeah, the thing with it. That, yeah. So, so it's, it's Beachhead rather than Strike Fleet. And I get it. It's Accolade's attempt to make these kind of things simpler for the player to get into. So Strike Fleet is, is hard to get into. HMS Pegasus, hard to get into. Not a lot happens and there's, you know, they're tr- tricky to get into. Accolade come along and they try and do that arcade version of this. And it's not too bad. It's not too bad. But for, I just felt it was a little dull for a lot of it. The action sequences, they're not as good as the ones in either, not even as good as the ones in Desert Fox, Ace of Aces. No, no, they're not. And no. cer- certainly nowhere near the quality of the train. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not too bad. But for a lot of it, I just found myself looking at the back of my head and not much going on. I was like, doo, doo, doo. Uh, and I know that's the thing it's seen. You can speed it up, but I don't know. I don't know if I needed those sequences. I don't know. Let's just go somewhere. It's a bit of a shame, though. It, when it does, I, I found the, you know, there's about three sequences in a row where I was just doing that shooting airplanes out the sky sequence. And you get that that same sequence of people running on the deck and the guy with his uh, yeah, yeah, big, yeah. big binoculars. I was binoculars. like, I, I've seen this. Let me skip it. I get it. Lo- whether it's loading and stuff, I don't know. But, you know, it, it just gets a bit up. It just, and, and I know what it's about. And obviously this massive battle and this huge, you know, naval conflict. I don't think it really um, delivers that scope no, and no, scale. No, that's my problem. It doesn't um, have the drama. It, yeah, it, I've written the same thing. It lacks the narrative drive of the other games in this sort of series. Even Desert Fox, which was simplistic, still felt like, you know, you had that drama of like, 
rubble. It felt more yeah, involved. Absolutely. This doesn't feel that way. And if I found my interest waning fairly sharpish after a while, it's nicely presented. And I liked what I liked the sort of like the um, resource management screen at the beginning where as you put more fuel in, the sort of your troops went down and that little sort of graphic of that and the, the, yeah, how, yeah, how those yeah. sort of thing. But it needed something else to drive it along for me. And it's a shame because obviously this is a pivotal battle within uh, you know, the Pacific and the Second World War and all that. But it just feels that a little... Mm. A little lacking, and it just feels like you know. I mean, Beachhead's four years old. Nineteen eighty-four. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think you know, I'd rather play Beachhead because it's quicker, simpler, Arcadia, and just gets yeah. me where it gets me where I want to be quicker. Which is essentially yeah. these mini games are Beachhead games, and so you. Yeah, I think if just a slight narrative twist on this would have made it more successful if they'd have focused it on maybe one ship that was trying to escape from something. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, just it just that's all it because that's what it takes. You know, to make a version of the train, but do it in a ship and. If he was trying to you know, navigate the nuances of in one ship, trying to keep the crew alive and stuff like that, yeah, that would have been that would have emphasized the drama of the conflict. The conflict then doesn't become the thing. The the, the war in the Nazi Germany um, for the train was never the thing. That was the thing that was happening in the background. The problem was you had a train with some art in it that you needed to get to the border. That was the immediate problem and the drama of doing that. It wasn't. It didn't wrap itself in too much of the surrounding war, mm. which this obviously tries to do a bit. Yeah, and uh, just to say, if you are interested. The Pacific Conflict, um, you know, the, the war at Pacific Conflict. I can h- highly recommend uh, the podcast series Hardcore History uh, by Dan Carlin. Uh, he's recently done. They're all still free on the, on his website. You still all get them for free. He, they they t- drop off after a while. Uh, six part are each one's about five to six hours long. It's just him talking, um, and it covers the entire like history of Japan going up to how they ended up in the war and all the naval and wow. all the way out the back end. So it covers Japan's uh, how they got it's and the sequences and it's horrific to listen to. Absolutely, it's some of the, I've been sat there listening driving home and I was like, oh my god, because it's just That's the horrors you. you the, the, the horrors that went on, obviously, in, in you know in Europe, stuff were horrible. But some of the stuff that went on in the Pacific uh, theater was just horrific, horrific. So if you are interested in this, I can I can highly recommend that. But go in prepared because some of the stuff that you'll hear is just awful. It's just incredible. No, You're just like, oh my check god, that myself. I have to put the link in the show notes for that. Yeah, put I'll, yeah, I've got the link sort of thing to his uh, to his website. But like I said, put some time aside if you download them all because it's about twenty five to thirty hours worth of content just in that cover it. But they are very good. So, uh, but yeah. Just be prepared. Once you get towards the back end of the war, oh, good Lord, it's harsh. There we go. So this sort of bright, hey-ho, I'm Homer, didn't really sort of fit well <laughs> somehow. You know, it's all a bit <laughs> no. weird. Um, anyway, there you go. I suppose any 8-bit representation of war is not going to fit, is it? Anyway, there you go, power at sea. Let's move on. We've got three more left. Let's get into them. Uh, the unfortunately titled Rim Runner is up next. <laughs> I've never liked the title for this. I think even when I was like 16, I went, Ugh, that sounds odd. Rim Runner. Um, anyway, this is 899. It's from Palace again, our second Palace game of the episode, in fact. Aye, aye, aye. For reasons known only to their insectoid brains, a race of insectoid creatures travel the galaxy and colonize planet. They then set up force fields to protect themselves from the dreaded arachnoid threat. <laughs> sounds okay. familiar. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Uh, these force fields need constant upkeep, and that falls to the Rim Runners, a group of elite insectoid warriors who ride reptilian mounts, blasting all incoming enemies and keeping the power grid topped up to repel all arachnoid threats. 
So after all that, what we have here is the sole release of this game. Interestingly, and despite the box, the release of this contained shots of both the Amstrad and the Atari ST versions. Those versions were never actually released. The Amstrad version even had a developer diary in the July 88 issue of Amstrad Computer User, and there is a rolling demo of the ST version up on YouTube which we shall link to in the show notes. Whatever the reason for the non-release of those, ver- those versions, the C64 version did come out. It's the only version. So this is a sort of exclusive to the C64 when it wasn't supposed to be. I don't know what happened to the others. I thought there might be something in games that weren't about it, but there, w- there was nothing that I could find. I'm not sure. Anyway, this was conceived by Steve Brown. It was coded by Binary Vision, had visuals by Gary Carr, and music by the ever-reliable Richard Joseph. So Rimrunner is a bi-directional scroller that sees your insectoid warrior atop his tauntaun-like creature tauntauns being the creatures from empire strikes back um <laughs> might need to narrow that down <laughs> the, the things they're <laughs> the riding that smell bad on the inside, the inside yeah Those the ones, ones that riding the ones that riding at the beginning that's what they sound like of empire yeah uh running so you run into the right or left in order to fix broken shield generators uh the top of the screen has the ui oh when, when this game starts it's got a nice um nice title screen and it's also got a bit of music we use for interstitial um, bits of bits of uh, bits of the podcast. Got a countdown when you press fire to start from nine to one. I don't know why. Just play that music, probably. Um, and then the insectoid sort of ant-like character sort of thing cocks his shotgun before the game starts. Yeah, <laughs> which is quite nice. I, I give it that. You know, it's got the palace presentation, um, and so that's quite cool. Once you're into the game, the top of the screen has the UI. This shows the time left to make sure all five generators are fixed. I think I'm not sure what the time limit was about. Actually, a defender-style radar showing your position and the position of the generator. Generators. Uh, these are shown in either solid green, which means they're A-OK, flashing green, which means they are taking damage and about to be not OK, uh, and flashing red, which means you need to get there and fix them, you know, post-haste. Otherwise, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're going to blow up. Underneath this is a small bar with six dashes. This is the health of your mount. If this reaches zero, so if you run out of dashes, your mount dies and you have four more to call in. So you've you've got, you ha- you. Uh, have energy as well and uh, so you've kind of got two two different energy bars here one for your mount and one for you um and you've got if you run out of mounts that's game over um you know and if you run out of energy it's game over below this is the score and then your energy which goes down from 100 weird how they mix the energy representations i think they were either stuck for something to put on there i don't know whatever as you ride across the landscape you will be constantly harassed by various enemies and i mean constantly some swoop in, some track across the top and drop bombs, some are meteorites, so fireballs, which are sort of dropping down at a di- diagonal angle from space. Um, if any of these hit your mount, it loses health. But if they hit you, you lose health and you are also thrown from your mount, which then stops. This, you know, you, you throw it to the floor, you have to again get back up and get back to your mount, climb back on board of it and start start running again. All this doing this while still being bombarded with all manner of alien crap. When on your mount, you can fire horizontally, vertically, or diagonally in the way you are facing. Um, but the good thing is you, your mount is constantly running. So this is how you're, you're basically legging it left to right to try and get to these generators, uh, shooting away you know, in the direction you're facing. And that's good. So you can, you can move and shoot. Once you've reached a flashing red generator, you have to dismount. So you have to stop, uh, stop the mount from running then uh, pull down to get off it. You walk towards it and you, sorry, so you uh, you walk towards the generator. Uh, when you get close enough, your gun will automatically fire a laser at it to charge it up. Uh, this takes a couple of seconds. Then once it's done, it floats back up um, into the sky and that one's sorted, sorted out. Once done, you climb back aboard your Tauntaun, whatever you want to call it. And then you repeat until you've fixed all the generators. If you manage that, you move on to the next level and you repeat it again and you repeat it again if you manage that. And that's because that's all there is to this. 
The visuals and music in this are great. Um, they really are very good. So the usual high standard of Palace games, the animation on you, your mount, and the enemies is excellent. Uh, I really like the way you whistle for your new mount. So when the game starts, you're unmounted, you go, and you call him on, and he comes comes jogging on. It's all really cool. The animation's excellent. Get it, getting knocked off, you, when you know you get knocked off to the floor, you rub your head. That's all great animation-wise. The way your mount crumbles to a skeleton when they die, it's all very good. You know, it looks all looks great. Joseph's music is excellent as ever. Even if the sound effects are delays, they get a bit annoying because it's all you hear as you charge in direction, shooting constantly upwards to get through the storm of enemies. Due in most part, though, to this lack of variety, I found that this game got old very quickly. Once you progress through a couple of levels, you realize there's not a lot else to this. It's also quite annoying when you get knocked to the floor because when you get knocked to the floor, you still have to shoot the enemies trying to get them but you can't move and shoot um and so that's a pain in the ass because you have to walk back to your mount but you'll still get hit and if you get hit while you're on the floor you get knocked to the ground again and while you're trying to mount get back on your tauntaun creature whatever it is get hit you get knocked off again and so you can get into this sort of repeat process of just getting knocked off and knocked off because the the bombardment just does not stop that's annoying it feels to me and i wonder if this is you know this was gotten out quick just to get something out and the others were were, were canned um maybe it, it because they realized what they had it feels like a tech demo an early tech demo it all works there's no bugs it looks great but there's very little to actually do if ever there was a game that was looking for right for variety this is it i don't know what they would have added and maybe that was the problem so they would just, i think this is just going on the fact of like this looks great look it's a palace game it looks great it's brilliant and then hoping that would carry it through it reminded me most i think of star pause but where has that had plenty yeah, of I made going on? That. Yeah, that had loads of stuff going on. This has very little and suffers from being another one of those games that tries to cover up its lack of content with a constant barrage of enemies. This is always a game I kind of wanted to like um, because it looks great. It has a nice feel to it and there's, there's bits to it that are really cool. Like I said, the presentation is all great, but it's it's fancy trousers of a nothing. It's, uh, this, it's a shame, really, because with some variety in the things you do, this could have been something special, but alas, simply not to be. It's too annoying. In places, there's too many enemies. They did that thing where they, they realized they haven't got much gameplay, so just to keep you on your toes, they just throw enemies at you constantly because they couldn't think of anything else. And it's a shame because I think the visuals, the music, deserve better design than what we have here. And I think that's a bit of a shame. This What did this get? It got 56%. It's probably about right. It's average. And it's a shame it's average because it deserves better. That's what I thought. What about you? Yeah, same, really. I mean, I've always... It was at a bit of a soft spot, secret soft spot for this. Not for rim running or rimming. <laughs> just for this game <laughs> i mean I, I like the vibe of it it's got a vibe this game it always had a vibe yes it's just, yeah, i can't yeah. explain that but it's just it, you know the fact that it has that countdown the cocking the shotgun the kind of the music the, it's just a vibe and it's got amazing sprite work and the details are really good as, as you've said you know the backgrounds and everything in the game are amazing to look at the way it parallax scrolls it's, it's beautiful technically but it was never going to be famous for its diversity of its gameplay was it no. I mean, it's it's simple to the point of simple uh, in terms of how it plays out. And it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's a run, gun, shoot, whatever you want to call it, in its most simple, purest form, as in shoot at stuff, move. But there's no skill move. to it. That's the thing. You just you just leg it and hope you don't get hit. That's why I say it's a shoot up in its most simple form. Um, and that might entertain you for a level or two. <laughs> but yeah. you're going to you're gonna quickly tire of it because, A, the difficulty is, well, it's eventually you're going to get bored of being knocked off that bloody thing. And, B... It is just repetitive. Once you've done level two, you're going to be like, it's just more and more and more. And it's just the same thing over and over again. I think you've summed it up exactly right. And Zap echoed it, actually. It, this feels like, well, like a rolling demo. Um, mm. That's exactly what it looks like. That's exactly what it feels like. Some really nice scrolling effects, some really nice graphics, bit of presentation on the front. 
great, great soundtrack. Really got to love it. Um, but where's the rest of the game? And yeah. that's my problem with it. You know, it's just missing. It feels like it's missing exactly 44% of the game. Yeah. So, yes. Shame. Shame because. I don't know what you'd have added to it, though. I think that, like you say, I think you're right, exactly right. I think they got it so far and they thought, uh, what can we add? <laughs> yeah, we've gone for this defender type thing. Star Wars has already done the sort of multi-event Star wars thing. What What can we add? <laughs> Someone's gone, I don't know. Oh, just release it. Just put loads of enemies in and release it. Yeah, just release it. And then yeah. what about the Amstrad ST versions? Well, maybe, oh, maybe. yeah. Just, never mind just that. Never mind. Yeah, we'll just release C64 version. They're not rim runners. They'll never run the rim. <laughs> they won't. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you would add to it. You'd need some kind of variant, whether it was... Possibly a giant squid. Possibly a giant squid, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, even if it a was... purpose. It needs a purpose. This game has no purpose. I thought that when I was playing it, I was thinking, if I was collecting things, as opposed to just repairing those things, if I had to collect things to jetpack style to build my rocket ship to get me in the little yeah. tauntaun in it and then fly off to the next world or whatever that would make contextual sense as opposed to just endlessly trolling you go to the next level you're on a, clearly on a different planet how did he get there well it's just another one <laughs> just another one of the insectoid planets that they've colonized yeah, and that's yeah. what, i mean it's, it's it's just not it's missing that and also where are the arachnids you know bring them on if it's like uh yeah because none of the none of the enemies look like arachnids arachnoids no, no. So I don't know, maybe no. this is Starship Troopers week to yeah. be made. Or even, you know, even if there was some kind of puzzle element to re- yeah. recharging the um recharging the generators, less enemies, you get yep. some figuring out puzzles, collecting stuff to try and figure stuff Caves. out. Anything, something. <laughs> but as it yeah. is, it's just a very empty experience. It's it's the yeah. it's essentially the planet bit from Star Wars. Yeah, and I think and that's it, without it feels anything actually, else. Yeah, it's it's the top level of notes of yes odd, isn't it? Yeah, just the top. Yeah, is it, it could, it, there's probably loads of ace cave stuff that none, nobody's ever figured out how to get to. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> They're like, oh, if only we'd have got a lot dead eye rating if we'd have put the caves bit more obvious. Yeah, if we only, if we only ever made the, the, the ladders the exact same color as the landscape in the background, <laughs> everyone yeah. would have seen them. Yeah, or you could have had you know a part where you were on foot. Yeah, exactly. Like, so where I mean, you're it's running, Dan running, style, running, gunning. You know, where it was a bit more interesting. So you're running, gunning through some sections or whatever. Yeah, it, it could have been a mixture of Dan Dare two and Dan Dare, couldn't it? For the inside the cave parts. Yes, that, that would have worked. Yeah, absolutely. But but it isn't. It's just riding a tauntaun constantly. Yeah, getting knocked yeah. off. Shame, yeah. really. But there you go. That's Rim Runner. Two more left. Let's get into them. Graham, it's time to tell us about some concrete <laughs> Terramex. <laughs> Or whatever the hell this, this is thing is. Strangely named this. The um, US version of this was called something completely different. Mm. It was called Cosmic Relief, Professor Renegade to the Rescue. All right. <laughs> Terramex it is. This is from Grand Slam Entertainment, developed by Tiki Software. Tiki, I guess that TQ Software. Coded by Pete Harrop, Sean Hollingworth. Music was Mr. Daglish, Ben Daglish. So I'm going to read from the instructions here as best I can, um, because the actual premise for this is pretty short anyway. In fact, mm. it says, um, so it says, uh, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the adventure part first, because there's a there's an entire story arc on the instructions, which ties into a little mini comic strip. I'm actually, I was going to read that, but I'm not. I don't know, because I'd have to do different voices, and I don't think it's story time really, is it? So let's not do that bit, but. Go and read that bit because it sets the context for the different characters that are in it. And there's also very dubious tones of language. They describe a French character as having fierce, I think it's Gaelic eyes, but it could be Gaelic. Anyway. <laughs> I think it's Gaelic, and not Gaelic. I don't Gaelic. know. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, so the adventure then. So your volunteer selected. So in this, you choose one of the five volunteers. I'll cover that in a minute. Um, you and your party of bearers must move around the landscape and try and find Professor Eye Strain. Professor Eye Strain has disappeared. <sighs> um, 
And basically, Mr. Ice Train will ask for various items from your bearers in order to create an asteroid deflector because there's a big asteroid aiming towards the Earth, which Professor Ice Train predicted would happen 20 years ago. No, everyone ignored him, Flash Gordon style. And then it turns out that it's actually happening. So now they've got to find him because he's disappeared, although he's handling not disappeared enough to, to ask for things anyway. So you can collect previously abandoned items from other expeditions by walking over them. Once held by a bearer, you can easily use the article whenever you need to. <laughs> can you? Each character has a key item which he which will need to complete the mission. Your character will obey all your instructions, even stupid ones, although this may lead to some head shaking. When stuck, the character may have a bright idea um, about which item to use. They don't, by the way. And then again, he may not. They won't. It's a race against time, asteroid time. And if asteroid time um, is running out, then anyway, that's the, I'm not going to go any further because they, they tried for this sort of humorous approach to this. It's meant to be a funny thing, funny game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the instructions start with, and there we have it, gentlemen, concluded Count Darnit. Ice Strain disappeared 20 years ago and the scientific world poo-pooed his idea of a giant asteroid colliding with that kind of tenality. Um, how long do we have, asked Henry Buku, that kind of thing. I'm going to go into that. <laughs> so, Professor Ice Strain's disappeared, predicted the world's going to be hit by a, a giant asteroid. That asteroid has now appeared and you've got to then pick your one of your characters, take a little team on a trip and try and find Professor Ice Strain and also complete a series of challenges with objects that he has left tactically strewn around for you to do. You are constantly attacked here. Well, constantly. You're, there's, there's things that will attack you, prehistoric birds, acid rain, poisonous snakes, horrible mutations, um, or presumably created by Ice Strain himself. Quite get that, but anyway. So one of you choose one of five explorers, and each of those particular explorers needs a certain item for you to be able to create this um, anti-asteroid um, device. And so that's the way the game, that's the that's construction of the story of the game. So you start the game by selecting one of five intrepid characters. That is Big John Kane, who's from the US, Fortescue Smy from the UK, um, Herr Kutch, Herr Crutch, sorry, from Germany, Wu Pong. I thought that was Hu Pong, but it's Wu Pong from Japan, and Henry Buku from France. Henry mm-hmm. Buku. Yeah, all right. Um, so you pick one of them, and then... Professor Eistrain was last seen on the unexplored region of the highest Tibetan ranges, an area populated by creatures and conditions of the professor's own design, venomous snakes, birds, and all that kind of thing. So you've got to um, take your adventurer and survive all these various different tests. Well, they say tests of things. They're not really. They're just things to avoid. It's a kind of a scrolly adventure game anyway. Um, once you look at the professor, you've got to convince him to help. You'll then need to... He'll then, um, need to help him construct an anti-asteroid deflector to prevent the destruction of Earth. He must now search for the high-tech tools such as the atomic pile, a nine-volt battery, and a bent coat hanger. <laughs> no, best to laugh. Best to laugh. No. Um, <laughs> so you use you control your adventure with the joystick. You've got thirty days to complete the mission. During that, the adventure will collect all the items that you'll go over. Some items serve little purpose or none. Others are vital and only work in certain places. Are you starting to get the idea of what this game is going to be like? Only one item can be held at a time and it must be held um, to be used. Native bearers carry the items collected. To look at what each bearer has, you can press one or two to scroll through them. Um, the adventurer can exchange the item with them by pressing the S key with the bearer that's closest to him. It's a trial and error game. Um, so good luck. Um, you'll need that because really this game really comes from mapping and from sort of, you're going to need to sort of map the game really. It's an arcade adventure of sorts. So, yeah, so this is an, uh, another arcade adventure with supposedly an extra added sense of humor, which was a joke I didn't get. I don't know if you got it. Did you no. get the joke? I don't know. Um, in essence, this is yet another in a long line of scrolling walk-and-seek games. Walk, fly, jump around, find the thing, pick it up, walk some more, find the other thing, put it down, pass to your team, pick that up, put it down. Oh, look, there's a hoover. I can fly in it. Let me get to the clouds. Oh, look, there's a thing. Pick it up, put it down, go over there, put it down, pick it up. That. 
It's not an overly bad one of them, really, I suppose, if you like that kind of thing. It just controls easy enough with the joystick. It's very simple keys to use. But some of the puzzles are really odd in this. And when I say really odd, I'd say they're really, these are at three, two, one levels of logic. <laughs> Maybe some um, Ted Rogers mechs. <laughs> I think it is. Because at the time, you don't, you can't make connections between the things. No. This is partly due to the way the game is drawn and how the objects look, because the background details and those things don't look as good as the little mini characters. And the puzzles are really obscure. Getting the right objects in the right hands to go to the next part is sometimes really difficult to figure out as getting them and knowing what to do with them becomes completely, at times, arbitrary, because there's no clue from the instructions. There's pictures of them, such as they are, but honestly, the the game window itself is split with the main upper part of the window given to the scrolling area for the adventure and the lower area further split into mini windows that show score, high score, the day number you're currently on and the time, as well as the other characters and the objects that they have. There's also with the obligatory game title logo in the middle, and then three lives for you on the left-hand side. The graphics here are not terrible, but they're more akin to a kind of blocky Mario-style approach. This feels almost like a Mario game, but not Mario. But it's that kind of squat, chunkier, smaller sprites. Mario. Yeah, Mario, yeah. Um, so the, I think the character sprites were actually pretty decent. They had a little bit of character to them, the little where they looked around and moved. All right, they're okay. The backgrounds are oh, oh, they're okay. They're not great, and they get worse. There's variety, but and there's lots to do in this, but... You're menaced by really odd things. Snakes that look like kind of tongues that stick out pots. Droplets, which is meant to be acid rain, but it just looks like water drops from clouds. There's things in the environment, but they all kind of blend into the background a bit too readily. And so the background details on this are really naff compared to the some mm-hmm. of the characters. It, this game is going to require lots of mapping, lots of walking, lots of picking up and whatnot. And if you like that kind of thing, you probably like it. Zap criticized the game for its reliance on trial and error puzzles as opposed to the more logical ones. And they're definitely right there. The puzzles are really bloody obscure. They cite the example that in order to launch the balloon, you need to scroll because, quote-unquote, a party manifesto equals hot air. That's the honest-to-God clue. So we're back to that 3 two, one logic. <laughs> it's Dusty Bin, everyone. You said <laughs> balloon. <laughs> if you take the A from balloon and put a P and an R and a T and a Y around it, then you get party. That gives you hot air if you eat exactly. too many volivons. It's just stupid. And that's the easiest clue. That's the easiest one to get. Believe no. it or not, it's like the, one of the first ones. No, and it didn't look like a hot air balloon anyway. So it's not for me, this. No. I like the characterization in the little characters and I, the, 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 the thematic they were going for, the humorous adventure, all right. But it's not very funny. The characters' graphics, well, okay, but the backgrounds are not. It's very monotonous, very repetitive. The music is good. Kind of a nice pounding Ben Dalglish piece that drives the action, but feels completely out of place in this game. It's like, it's like just like totally atonal to the game. It's supposed to be a jaunty, fun adventure. This great clomping, menacing soundtrack appears. Like, well, okay, it's kind of doomed me out. So something a bit unheard of for Ben that he actually got the tone of the game wrong. So I'm thinking that they told him one version of the game story and then something changed because he's never normally that wrong from those sort of things. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, what does it all yeah. add up to? It's another mission in posse puzzle for me. Um, and a great shame because it probably could have been quite good had they thought about not, not including so much 3-2-1 logic. What about you? Nah, it's felt like a throwback to games like Everyone's a Wally as you wander around a scrolling world collecting my... I know Everyone's a Wally's flick screen, but it's another one of them. Yeah. Collecting items at appropriate idea. moments. And it's all just a bit obscure. I did not like the items. I, had very spef- I didn't like the fact that you have items that had very specific moments to use them at. You get the flying thing, the hoover, but you arbitrarily have to stop. You can fly it for no reason, just through from point there's a line and then there's another line. You can fly it through these bits. Like, but why can't I fly it any further? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because like you get down and like it was dead hard to get on that um 
the well and climb down that rope to get to the caves. You go to the right a bit and there's a gap. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll get the hoover because I'm fly about it. He goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, why? Why can it not fly here? Inconsistent item usage. The logical thing yeah, is like, yeah, you've yeah. shown me this flies. I can now, should be able to now fly this across this gap. No, you can't. Why not? This doesn't make any sense. Don't like that. So it annoyed me. So like my logic was sound. The games wasn't. No, I don't want you to do that. So you're not yeah, doing absolutely. that. And that annoys the hell out of me when you get, you get that kind of thing. So and I also just got stuck. I couldn't find anything to progress. So I couldn't find this scroll the hot air balloon thing. I was like, oh, I'm just bored of this already. Because it just, like I said, those bloody pink tongues that kept appearing out of rocks or yeah. whatever the hell. What were they? What were they? Snakes, I think. Well, the snakes, I thought those green things were snakes because you have to play well, the... I don't know. That was the only bit I did like. You had to play the, the sort of flute, didn't you, the, to go past the yeah, snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, I get that because, you know, that's all right. But then I didn't. I found, picked up a couple of balls. I didn't know what they were for. They, they might have been MacGuffins. There's a lot of that in this. Uh, it was just... No, I just didn't like this. We've said we don't like these. It's just annoying for annoying sake. Um, yep. I guess people, like you said, who like obscure, really obscure item puzzle platformers yep. could really float your boat. But no, it's not. Well, remember not as well that in this game, some of those objects have no purpose. Oh, see, see that's just, no. That's what I mean. So and we've said about, there was another game that we said there, were, with that, there was that logic and we're like, no, don't do that. Because in a game that's principally about finding the right objects or the right things, to put objects that don't have a purpose, Makes it very really stupid. I mean, there was a little bit of that in... Um... Well, that's Monty on the Run goes back to that, where you have to select the five things at the beginning. Yes, Monty on the Run. It's a little bit of that in Frankie Goes to Hollywood. But, you know, don't make... make this game's all about that. You, know, you have to get these objects in the right place and have the right person has to have them. So if you don't know that you got the wrong one, you, you could spend ages in this game just not knowing. Stupid. Yeah. And it's a stupid name. Terramex. Yeah, I'm not sure where that came from. No, I have no idea. No idea. 31%. Yeah, I would have given it that. I didn't like it. There we go. All right, let's move along. We've got one more to get into. And so let's get to that. Our last game for May 1988. And that game is Herobotics. Herobotics? Herobotics. I guess this is two pound ninety nine. It's a budget one. We're finishing on a budget one, but it got eighty seven percent, so mm, could be a good one to end on. Hopefully, that's why I put it here. Anyway, from the inlay, Herobotics' plot is the following: the Alliance of Space Pilots, an anarchic organization which roams space, ransacking remote colony planets and hijacking travelers, has raided an interplanetary weapons development labor- laboratory, capturing the Z Ray Particle Accelerator, which could reduce a whole planet to dust. Some members of the organization are against this move and have broken away determined to destroy the deadly machine their plan is to send a droid to the asp's base with the aim of logging onto the main computer thus gain information thus gaining information concerning the location of the zed ray so a class 4 droid nicknamed herobot has boarded the base in the guise of an asp reconnaissance droid you must collect six parts of a large particle destroyer which can be located throughout the base you must then make your way to a room with a conspicuously large door barring an exit. It's just a door. You don't need to tell me that there's an exit. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a door in front of a wall. <laughs> True. Drop the gun and remove the door. Okay. This will give you access to a corridor <laughs> leading to the main computer. Log into the computer, thus downloading the vital data and make your way back to the docking bay where you will be picked up by an infiltration fighter allowing you fast escape. Warning, you will not be rescued without first completing the mission. Kind of goes without saying. <laughs> Just get back to the thing. I'm here. Have you done it? Nah. <laughs> I'm here. No. Well, go back and do it. We told you to do it. Nah, I just want rescuing. 
Um, anyway, this was created by Steve Collins, music by Nigel Grieve, uh, and he did other music for other racket titles. I think he did those, uh, the one with that ran Sunburst, was it, or whatever it's called, Sun something or other. The one that it's the guy who did uh, Nebulous did. Anyway, Herobotics. It's a flick screen adventure where you control your hero bot through many screens of robot blasting action as you search for the six parts of the, what was it, the particle? No, what was it? What you got to find? The particle accelerator thing, whatever. I don't know. The, 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 the ray, the Z ray. The large particle destroyer, that's what you got to find. you got to find a th- yeah, six parts of that to complete your mission. It's not all blasting, though, as you need to find switches to turn off electricity gates to allow you to proceed and terminals that allow you to view a map of the local area along with uh, turn off power for a short period of time, which will turn off nearby conveyor belts, allowing you to get over them. There are different types of droid that patrol the screen. Um, some just meander around, others shoot at you, and some others make a beeline straight for you. You're armed with a blaster, and a couple of shots will see off most enemies, although leaving a screen and coming back to it will see the enemies respawn, slightly annoying. The main portion of the screen shows the game in action, and it's been hit full-on with budget bass relief-style um, graphics for the backgrounds. I think that's the best way to describe them. The sort of the 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 walls. They can't move around the walls, but the sort of ground is like these sort of tracks, and so. But it's mostly bass relief stuff. The sprites though are okay. Um, they're quite nice with various droids that all look perfectly acceptable. I did quite like the variety of droids. They look like droids. They look the part, and I thought that was all quite good. It has a nice look to this. It's, it's not brilliant, but it's budget budgetly acceptable um i thought which is good it's not going to knock your socks off but they do the job the electricity gates i thought were quite well animated switches and terminals are clearly marked so you can see them it's all very self-explanatory you go on them you just press f1 i think it is to flip the switches on those press your fire button when you're on the terminals easy enough there are also recharge points as well so kind of like what you had in paradroid uh you'll yeah and you'll need these as contact with enemies makes makes you lose energy um and this is your energy stuff is represented on the right of the screen um by four flashing bars it's a weird energy meter (laughs) because basically you've got these sort of four it's like um a graphic equalizer i suppose it's the best best way i can describe it so you got these four but you got these four you got this grid and it's sort of four bars along and about 10 high or something like that and like the the all of them are flashing up and down like a graphic equalizer and as you get hit one of them will stop moving and there's the second one will stop moving the third one that's your energy so you have to then the faster they're flashing the more well health you have so when you go back onto the you, you recharge points they'll they'll all restarts respawning and reflashing again so it's it's a strange way it's a strange way of demonstrating it but you know it works once you can read it's easy to read should they all stop moving then you blow up and it's game over you only get one life so you've got to be careful you need to keep your energy topped up. Also on the UI over on the right, there's also your score, the number of uh, ray parts, whatever it is you've collected, and finally the status of your droid. Usually it just says, droid is okay. I'm like, oh, that's nice. He's all right. It's okay. Whatever. So this is kind of a map em up blast em up um, I guess. I don't know what to really to call this. It's just kind of a flick screen shooter. It has... I'm not going to say paradroid. Obviously, there's droids. It's top-down droids and shooting and blasting. There's none of the uh, taking them over. There's a little bit maybe a paradroid to it, I suppose, in that kind of thing. But it's a. I'm trying to think what else we looked at recently as well. Maybe that that Dandir two. That sort of. I mean, that mm. was from the side, but flick screen blastery type stuff. It's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. And for two quid, this is not too bad. I thought. The puzzles are quite simple. Um, you just find the switches and flick them, and then you can move through them. And you can, you know, I like the way that you've got to be quite quick from turning. You get to the 
the terminals turn off the power. You can see it on a nearby sort of travel or cor- uh, conveyor belt, whatever it is, and you can go back to that. You're going to be quick and get on it before it starts up again. Otherwise, you can't get through it. Um, I like the AI of the different droids. Once you get to learn what's what, some will you know will only attack you when you get close to them. Some just meander about. Others will just home in you from the start, and you get to learn what they are because they all they all look different so it's easy enough to tell them apart and kind of adjust your play accordingly shooting is eight way it's not brilliant but it kind of works you just got to you move quite fast everything moves at quite a pace but not too fast it's all right like i said it's a bit annoying though that enemies respawn on screens if you leave them and head back into them because some of the enemies that are heading straight for you can will hit you sometimes quite quick and you can lose a lot of energy because recharge points are quite few and far between so i found this quite hard to make progress um, make progress i kind of got through to the second part so but i was was enjoying myself this was all right it's just there's a decent game here um it's simple it does what it does there's enough variety there's puzzles there's navigation there's working out where to go you can bring up the map the map shows you local areas you can kind of go right i need to go around there to figure stuff out turn stuff off whatever you got to do it's not going to knock your socks off but you know it's got a nice atmosphere the suitable sound effects some nice visuals dotted about this is okay you know for two quick what is it 2.99 this is fine I had no problem with this whatsoever. Sunday afternoon gaming would be perfect for this back in the day. You could really get some enjoyment out of this. This is more decent stuff in the budget range being produced. And ideally, probably one of the best games I've played this week, and it's three quid. Yeah, this was all right by me. I I quite enjoyed my time with this because it was simple, easy to understand, had a bit of action, bit of collecting, bit of tracking, bit of puzzling. Yeah, all seemed to work and, and worked well. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, actually, I thought it was a nice style to this game. I thought the base relief graphics worked well, good control for the main sprite. Felt like a much better version of Nomad. Yes, um, that, yeah, that was ways. the other one I was thinking of, yeah. So um, I thought it was all very well realised. It looked and sounded the part um, way better than the price tag would have given you initial thought to believe it. It looks more expensive than it actually is in terms of the way yeah. it looks. And that's a good thing. There are hints of Paradroid in there a little bit. More tropes than uh, drop-in, drop-down hints. Yeah. I mean, it's robots in a maze-like environment with little controls on the floor. You know, so, all right. Yeah, exactly. but I liked how it played. Um, there was a nice sense to the whole thing. Um, you need to map it, obviously, to get anywhere in this because you're going to need to note where everything is. Uh-huh. Um, and I suspect by now there's probably extensive maps for all of that. Um, but the game does at least allow you some space to think. That's never a bad thing. So it's not like you're being constantly bombarded yeah, all the yes. time. This thing's on there, but you've got space to think about. But things, once you kill them on the, on the screen, they are gone, and nothing else spawns yeah. until you move off and come yeah, back. So ex- exactly. So you've got you know this this each screen is. It gives you a bit of breathing room, a bit of yeah. breathing space. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good uh, good ideas here. Some good game design choices have been made, good locations. It all flows. It works really well. I like the pace and this the tonal feel to this. It's got a nice coldness. That's emphasized with that kind of filtered boom sound of the mm. explosions and things like that. There's a hollowness to it, not in terms of its narrative. That's quite nice. But just in terms of the kind of coldness of the reality of the robots and the things that you're in, and that environment would sound a bit like that. Yes. You know, echoey and boomy and, 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 and all that kind of thing. Good explosion so I thought this was good. Well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well put together, this. Good game design choices. Does, does what it sets out to do. And for budget money, this is really good value. This is a game well made, a nice one to end on, really, considering so many other games that we've had have made sort of silly choices. And I thought this was really good. I'd have been happy. It's an odd name, but I'd have been happy for three quid for this. Mm. I think this, the score was probably about right. There are a few minor niggly issues here and there. It's not It's not a perfect game, but for three quid, this is a more complete game than something like um, Impact that was full price. Yeah. So, you know, uh-huh. I'd have much rather have played this, and, and I played this over quite some time. I, I could feel myself wanting to go back to this. There was a real sense of mechanical melancholy about it, for want of a better <laughs> description of something. 
It just is, but it's a similar vibe to what Paradroid has. It's all about the robots. There's the, there's the, the sounds are all robotic. The, the thumping and the explosions mm-hmm. are all kind of just, you know, it's just, it is, it's, it's design choices exactly match the kind of thematic of the game. And when those two things come together like this, you're playing something that's quite, you know, quite interesting. Um, and you can just get on with the game. You're not, you no know, attic attack style, continuously being bombarded with endless stuff. You know, there's none of that in this. You've got that, that space to, move that affordance it gives you is enough for you Mm -hmm. to be able to sort of explore which is what's required here a good little game this for three pound i enjoyed it yeah not bad at all i thought the nigel grieve music was ace as well i really like that so really underrated that really good yeah yeah not gonna argue yeah winner winner chicken dinner (laughs) nice one to end on finally yeah yeah Uh, it's not often we can say that no it's not and and it was um yeah, just just good budget fair. Not just good budget fair, just a good game. Yeah, I think it deserved maybe a bit higher. It got eighty seven percent. Maybe could have been a silver medal. I think. I think they've been underrating these budget games. Some underrating going on recently, and some overrating. But there you go. That's it. That's May done. May is done, Graham. May nineteen eighty eight is done. That's it. Done. It's gone. <sighs> it is gone. What did we look at uh, this week? We looked at stealth mission. You know, could be anything. Just two words. <laughs> um, but it turned out to be, you know, an attempt at 3D filled in visuals flight simulator mm. on C64. It's just never going to work. Uh, nope. Blood Valley. Yeah. What did no. they, What did they do? Impact. Took a great book and ruined it. Yeah. Impact. No. No. Took a great game and ruined it. <laughs> yeah. Troll. <laughs> Just a bit uh, confusing. Over egg the pudding. Too many eggs. In that Too pudding. many eggs. Yeah. Power at sea. Um. Not enough. I liked it. We liked not it. Enough, but not, not enough drama. Not enough drama. Yeah. Rim runner. Dull. Too know. much running on the rim. Not enough <laughs> of anything else. Teramex. Ted Rogers would have liked it. That's all we can say. He'd have worked <laughs> it out. Ted Rogers' seconds. levels of puzzle design. He would have. Yeah. He was straight in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And finally, the, the episode saving robotics. I would say. Yes. Which we both yeah. which we both enjoyed. So that was all right. Before we go. Uh, we've got a couple of crap verts, so if you'd like to uh, move your, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, unfortunately, looking at this <laughs> thing now. What is what is what is this for? I don't know. This is uh, so. This is Gothic Spectrum Amstrad Commodore 64 as well. Yeah, it is. Gothic. Yeah, I, th- I think this looks like a Gauntlet type clone. Now, the reason I've included <laughs> this, there are many reasons I've included this. I'll see. Can you can you see the obvious one? Yeah, I'm thinking it's because of that gorilla. <laughs> it's because of that gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of stick out. <laughs> so this is gothic with a K, and a, and a, so on the okay. So we've got this sort of Germanesque Deutsche sort of font, uh, gothic yeah. across the top. Down the right hand side, we've got these chevrons, which go from red yeah. to yellow, and, and the main graphic is two. They're okay drawn, but they're badly drawn at the same time. Yeah, um, sort of, you know, sort of warriors with massive helmets, massive horned helmets that look like American football helmets with horns on, um, yeah. but without the sort of face bar. And in like a dungeon, they're both firing lasers from their fingers while holding a sword mm. in the other hand. There's a yeah. massive, massive um, uh, sort of what do you call that kind of glass canister sort of potion holder, vial, vial like some kind of massive vial, vial yeah. just there to the to the right of one of them. But then bewilderingly behind them is a gorilla there is right there there he is <laughs> i don't know why why is there there's a, gorilla? a lot of mysteries in there's mysteries in this image all over the place <laughs> um why has he got a quill of arrows he's got he hasn't got a bow <laughs> he's got a sword he's got a sword so he doesn't need them 
Why is he wearing a belt with his tiny tunic and she's not? Why is why are they both their legs so smooth and hairless? <laughs> um, no, they're, they're not wearing dungeon-appropriate clothing, I don't think. No, really, all in all. Not at all. Um, what's the point in wearing a, a horned helmet if you're just going to wear a, a cotton tunic with a belt? <laughs> yeah, it's not great. You know, your um, head is protected, but the rest of you is just going to get, you know, stabbed. I mean... Badly stabbed. This, the, the writing on this is, the spell is cast. Argoth... <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like Argos, the supreme necromancer is in a spot of bother. The archmaid Ancelon has cast a ghastly spell, dispersing the body, soul, and limbs of your unfortunate master through the dark and dingy catacombs of Kaza. As Olaf oh, or Olga, your task is to battle through the treacherous catacombs in search of your master's body, piece by piece, until finally you bring him back to life. Magical potions and spells protect you against ferocious trolls and hideous monsters lying in wait in the eerie darkness. Gothic, throw down the gauntlet. See what they did yeah, there? In other words, yeah, see what they see did. What they did. did the screen, screenshots say, shout gauntlet at you in major, massive letters. But what they don't, but no mention it in there is a gorilla. Nope. There's, <laughs> right, so a gorilla. there's, probably, there's screen grabs in there, apparently from the Commodore 64 version as well. Yeah, well. Is that a giant gorilla in one of those as well? It, it might very well be, you know. I'm try, I can't see me in fire There's enough. a giant Commodore Brown creature in there. I don't know what that is. But yeah, there's a mysterious gorilla in there. I don't know why it's there or it doesn't know. <laughs> so when the artist drawn that, they were like, what you put that there for? <laughs> uh, but, you mean you didn't want gorillas in the dungeon? No. No. Why Who you told have... you to put that there, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> Just there, sniggering and laughing. I didn't think you'd actually do it. <laughs> well, now we've got a bloody gorilla in the advert now. We're going to explain that. We're not. We're not. I don't <laughs> you understand. You Gauntlet, yeah. How many gorillas are in it? <laughs> not many. None. <laughs> <laughs> None, that's how many. Oh, it's not I, I famous it, for its gorilla content. It's not, is it? I mean, he doesn't look no. particularly enamoured with the situation as well, doesn't he? He doesn't look like a happy gorilla. It looks quite sad. <laughs> well, it's also quite a small gorilla. Either that or they, those people are massive. And I know there's perspective at play, but there's something. if that bottle is the, quite the right close. size... They're quite close. Look how close his fist is to his uh, his foot. He's, you know, he's not that yeah, far behind. I mean, there's this problems with scaling all over the shop, oh, isn't it? Yeah. So, no. They could have taken some elements of that away and actually had an okay image. Taken the gorilla out, taken the chevrons out, taken the vial yeah. out, and it would have been just those people. Those people in the well would have been all right. I think that would have been okay. Maybe, but I'm sensing this. You know, her arms are this clearly a you know a lump where it shouldn't be. <laughs> um, and the facial expressions, <laughs> what <laughs> they don't look happy. <laughs> they look about well, as happy as the gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what they're actually looking at. The gorilla looks depressed. He's like, oh, why am I here? <laughs> the woman on the sort of right of that image, the whatever her name is in there, she's sort older. of going, like she's like yeah, like the other one's farted and she's she's just got the smell. She's like, ew, it stinks. <laughs> and you don't want to be lighting a sort of fire fire flame no. when someone is just farted because that's why the, that's probably why the gorilla looks depressed as well because he's he's a ass height exactly. And I think she, and I think he's just either either seen. Uh, one of the gorilla's turds and, the, and he's like oh my god because he's realised how big it is that's what he's firing at he's like kill it and the kill gorilla's with, like oh sorry the gorilla's lasers. got a kind of a the, the gorilla's kind of a sad oh I didn't mean to do that face dogs do that face with the food in the inside of the house and not loud so it's a firebird game apparently but it's not very good that I'm not looking forward to playing it uh, no I've never I've never heard of it it might be an okay gauntlet clone who knows hmm. I'm, I'm thinking not <laughs> thinking not maybe. we'll see we'll see we'll, we'll see, see. We'll see. Okay, there you go. That's gothic. Let's move on to our next one. What, what is this? <laughs> Who is Bob Winner? Bob, Bob Winner. 
Any like what's one of his jockeys? Loricals. Loricals. Loriciels. So, Loriciels. Is that that name the company? I, I don't guess? know, but I'm noticing a trend in adverts because we had Lee Enfield recently, didn't we? And now yes, we've got we Bob. Did, yeah. Now we've got Bob Winner. It's like these Who's people. Bob? Who is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is there a completely new generation adventure game? What does that even mean? I don't know. Uh, it says initiating his internal computer. Internal computer. <laughs> you mean his brain? <laughs> Bob Winner. Wait a minute. I, I need oh, to use my internal computer a moment. Oh, hang on a minute. No, Bob Winner, Android number zero, could at last breathe again. He's an android. What? Why would he breathe? What, what does it mean? In New York, the docks were deserted, or were they? No, the other one was there. One of the men sent what? to destroy him. He had a mission to Who complete. Wrote this? <laughs> Want me. But first, he needed to find the weapons to defeat his opponent. A gunfight, a boxing bout, a kick fight, but that was not all. He knew he would have to overcome many other obstacles. The quicksand and marshes, the giant wasps he knew would attack him. <laughs> Strength what alone would not earth? suffice. He needed intelligence and wits if he was ever to reach the secret temple. I thought it was in yeah. New York. So, you know, if you look at the where that's written, see where there's the three dot marks? Yeah. That's where he's inhaling. <laughs> so it's like, breathe again. <laughs> New York. <laughs> The docks. the docks were desert. Yeah. So, and then it, as it starts to break down and his mental state you know, becomes more and more and more degenerated by what they've done, it's just like random words are firing out of his brain. A gunfight, boxing bout, kick fight, I mean. I also, um, th- there's the screenshots as well, but it says at the bottom they are Amstradatari screenshots. I don't think that's a computer. I don't know. <laughs> mm, I'm sensing, I like, I'm not, I'm sensing it's something not right. Let's just right at the bottom, it says Loricells Limited and it says Elite Systems Limited, sneakily under that. Ah, is this a sneaky elite game or something? Maybe it's a completely new generation adventure game. Amazing digitized graphics set in London, New York, and Paris. I mean, I don't know what that is in the middle. It's some kind of <laughs> it's statue having a shit. It's, it's like it's, it's somebody having a shit. <laughs> why, it's like, oh, why, that's Gary, why podcast you, friend Gary. That's what he looks like. Of all the ways you could have sculpted me, <laughs> why have you sculpted <laughs> why me? Would you do that? Yeah. Dump? Exactly. That's that, honestly that's when. Uh, that infamous moment when podcast friend Gary did a did a poo and shouted the word "cook" because it became too painful when he was trying to push it out. That's the that's a plastic. You know, that's that's a statue of that moment captured. Um, and then on the left hand side, that's just a guy looking. He looks a bit like um, Simon Cowell on the left. He's an android. It's weird that he's an android. Bob Winner's an android. That's, I'm starting to feel like we're we're watching Pontypool. Uh, yeah, Bob but... Winner's an android. <laughs> Bob Winner's an android. Kisses kill. <laughs> also, why is the W in Bob Winner massive compared to the rest of the letters? Good question. Why is his gun so far down and no gun in it? His holster has got no gun in there. <laughs> why has he got a penknife dangerously close to his his cock? <laughs> don't know. Yeah, don't put don't put it there. Don't hang your belt that low. I don't know. No. None of that advert makes any sense. Heroes, look, heroes don't wear turn-up trousers. Sorry, they don't. They don't. He's got turn-ups on. You know, he's, he's, he's got out in formal dress. <laughs> he's got he's got he's got loafers on. He's got turn-up trousers and loafers. He's not ready for an adventure. No matter what he's doing, no wonder he's just giddily looking at that statue of the man dumping. <laughs> he's an Indiana Jones. You could invite. You could introduce to your mother. <laughs> That's what he man is. Dumping. <laughs> man dumping. Makanta Man dumping. The whole shitters in here. <laughs> it's the whole shitters, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't sculpt me. <laughs> I've already made the sketches, Your Honour. <laughs> you were on there for three hours. 
Has he got six toes as well? No, I think he's got five, luckily. I don't know. Yeah, not really it's a, not, it's, not nice, that. But there you go. Bob Winner. It sounds... Bob I'm pretty in sure, the, isn't the, it? Um, the mystery of the dump statue. <laughs> isn't it a dog food as well, Bob Winner? <laughs> it sounds like a dog... It's, it's weird. Bob, it, Bob Winner. It does sound like a like winner lot, isn't it? Or Bob Winner. It's Bob Winner sounds like the sort of, welcome to this Sunday's Dog Challenge with Bob Winner. Yeah. Bob Winner's yeah. the kind of guy that would train a dog. <laughs> to shit. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. See this statue. Like that, you do painfully. the same. <laughs> <laughs> that's, honestly, that is podcast friend Gary. That's You might never meet him, but that's ex- if you ever wonder what he looks like having a shit, that's it. He looks exactly like that. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> Cross-legged and everything. That's how he does it. So that's the way, that's that's his way. <laughs> he, he hovers three He hovers three inches above the seat. <laughs> exactly. And he definitely looks up and goes, hey! <laughs> Got his nose as well. He has. <laughs> oh dear good old Bob oh Winner dear. anyway there you go Hilarious. there's like crap it's gothic and Bob Winner <laughs> go check them out yeah they can you'll yeah oh dear anyway charts so we do the charts we see what's I think see so what's, see what's uh, doing the charts well, I think like we've from, gone back in time looking at that I know well these are from uh, Commodore User as ever uh, up to number 10 is Kickstart 2 uh, down to number 9 is Outrun down to number 8 is Fruit Machine Simulator how did that get in there in at number seven is battle valley Ugh, interesting but that's from racket that's weird yeah oh battle yeah. no battle valley i was thinking of blood valley um yeah whatever battle valley was a decent one wasn't it that was the uh yeah, so, yeah that was okay that one was yeah. uh staying at number six is project stealth fighter in at number five a new entry is steve davis's snooker is that, is that the fourth revisit of the same game engine we'll find it, out well i think it's the same one i think but it's been released oh, by God. some company called blue ribbon who i thought when they have chocolate Made biscuits, bar. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got those. Can't get enough of those blue ribbon blues. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, down to number four is Way of the Exploding Fist, a budget release there from Mastertronic. Uh-huh. Down to number Bagging. three is Platoon. Up to yeah. number two is Predator, and mm. climbing all the way to number one from number two is Ghostbusters by Mastertronic. Not by Mastertronic. Yep, making up the rest of the charts. Uh, number eleven is Soccer Boss. Twelve is Trapdoor. 13, BMX Kids. 14 was Akari Warriors. Shame that went higher. That was really good. Um, 15, Eyeball 2. 16 is Popeye. Ugh. Mm. 17, Grand Prix Simulator. That should be higher. Mm. 18 is Dan Deere. Another Mastertronic re-release. Mastertronic. Uh, 19 is Test Drive. And Zybex rounds it out at number 20. There we yeah. go. There's the chart. All right. So what have we got coming up? It's another, I think it's a three-parter uh, next month. Mm-hmm. Um, what have we got? We've got Alien Syndrome. Okay. Okay. I used to, I really really like Alien Syndrome in the arcade. Uh, mm. so I don't really remember the CC12 version very much, but it got a sizzler. So who knows? Okay. Uh, Bob Winner's there. Bob, Bob Winner. Uh, Draconis. <laughs> okay. Is that the, the massive on Draconis? Is that not the massive dragon one? Is Big that, lizard that, creature there with. Uh, yeah. It's got. Fa- I remember having really fancy animated flames. Ooh, Echelon. Echelon. Okay. And we've also got Gothic as well. So oh, we're playing God. that as well. There we go. The, the crapverts have come to life. Uh, yeah. Oh, we've got the CC12 version of Grizor. That's oh Contra, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Guts, whatever that is. Impossible Mission 2 picks up the gold medal. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Uh, oh, not just Bob Winner, we've got Lee Enfield as well. Oh, God, they're all coming back. Yeah, they all, they're all here. It's Crapvert Central. Micro League Wrestling, no idea. Uh, North Star, uh, Oh No, that's a sensible one, isn't it? Yeah. Sensible budget one, isn't it? Yeah. Pandora, uh, Road Warrior. Oh, tell me, tell me it's got humongous in it. <laughs> we'll find out. I don't think it is. It I, I think it's that. Is it that arcade game, Road Warrior, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. Side it won't be humongous. No, it's not. We'll I, have I, to just walk away from that one. But, yeah. <laughs> I do remember the C64 version of that being a quite bad, I think. 
yeah. Scout mm-hmm. could be anything. Sorcerer Lord could be an adventure. Okay. I'm not sure. Subterranea yeah, sounds like it. sounds like one. Don't know what Subterranea Target Renegade. Ooh, mm, interesting. Not so good. Not good. I, I we'll see. We'll see. Time and Magic yeah. probably another adventure, yeah, adventure game. Maybe. I think. Yeah. Uh, train Robbers. That sounds like one. Could be anything. Vampire's Empire. Oh, f- oh, Venom. Venom Strikes Back. Is that another mask one? <laughs> it's got to be, hasn't it? Mask 3. But just just why? Ma- stop probably. it. Probably. Yep. Stop it. And finally, Wheelies. Oh, please don't tell me that's based on the trainers. <laughs> Could be another BMX one. Uh, probably. Hopefully is. It's not based on people on Could trainers with wheels attached. Another BMX one. Uh, and that's it. Yeah, there we go. That's a, that's a lot to look forward Goodbye, to, I suppose. Goodbye, Stinky May. It's goodbye, Stinky it's May. odd bonds, but... Um, so just to sort of round off, just to sort of give some thing, if you wish to support the podcast, you can do so. You can go and join our Patreon, should you wish to. That's over at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past, where we say we can keep on playing these games so you don't have to. You can uh, chuck us a quid if that's if you'd like to do that. It's greatly appreciated. Or you can go full fat experience and chuck us £4.50 or your local currency equivalent a month. And that gets you early access to the episodes ad-free access to our discord server ability to ask us questions when we do the ask the podcast which we'll be doing quite soon and things like that so if you wish to, and also obviously you know helps us keep doing what we're doing and you know join that community on the discord which is cool and you get to see the crap bits early and everything like that so if you want to do that that would be much appreciated you're under no pressure obviously um, um you can also if you can't do that then rate and reviewers itunes uh, podcast addict places like that that helps yep. people viewers and see us and get our name out there and if you can even just do that that would be grand we'd much appreciate that um totally cool it would be we start yeah so we start june 1988 next uh, week we may have if all goes to plan we may have a special guest on it we, we, might. May. we may we may if all goes to plan so you know that's something to look strangely forward something to. Something to think about. Who might that be? <laughs> it could very well be. So we might have a special guest on next week if it all goes planned. It may not yet. Who knows? But we're we're hoping to. But you never know. We'll see how that goes. You got anything you wish to say about May or what's coming up or anything? No, apart from good riddance, I have not enjoyed hardly any of the games in May. It started with that NAF cover. I knew there was going to be something wrong with May from that giant you no know, Pac Man thing that we had on the front. The odd game in there that all the games that should have been really good had something that was a little bit wrong with them, didn't they? The Cybernoids had something a little bit wrong with it. Mm. Things like that. The ones that had really good graphics, the game design was kind of lacking. The ones that had some good game design. There was a couple of little gems in there that we found, I think, along the way, wasn't there? So I think, I can't even think what they were. I mean, there was such crap sabotage, crap bedlam, crap gunsmoke, awful. Samurai Warriors, probably one of the big highlights. I know you're more of a fan of it than me, but in that sea of turd burgers, it's certainly head and shoulders above everything else in yeah. there. But you're surrounded by the poor games are surrounded by the Rockfords or yeah. you know the the, the Taniums. Shirley Muldowney's no. top fuel challenge. Yeah, when you get to the real dross, no, just be be gone, mate. Be gone. I'm glad it's gone. I don't know quite what's going to come in. Obviously, looking at the titles that we're going to look at. I know that there's some ones in there that are interesting from memory. Um, Draconis will be an interesting one to look at. Impossible Mission 2 and things like that. Mm. The games I don't remember a lot about on some instances, so I'm interested to revisit them. Um, but let's just see what we're dealing with. I just have a funny vibe about it. <laughs> have a funny feeling. It's getting to this strange world of the later C64 titles, isn't it? And Well, it's very telling that the chart at the moment is bombarded with budget re-releases that are... I know the budget re-releases, so they're cheaper, and I get that. But look at the games that they're releasing at full price. No wonder people are buying more budget ones. Do you know, I had a thought that 
that crappy championship sprint game that we played, which was full price, wasn't it? Yeah. You could have bought all the BMX games and that Grand Prix simulator for less yeah. than the price of that full price game. You could have and had way Shocking more fun that. and enjoyment. Yep. All of those yep. BMX simulator, Pro BMX simulator and Grand Prix simulator, they're all far better than that crappy championship. Yep. And you could have bought all three of those games for less, just probably a quid more maybe than that one championship sprint game, which was pig awful. Yes, pig awful. Yes, indeed. There we go. Goodbye, May. Goodbye, May. <laughs> you will not be missed. Well, I will, because I love Samurai Warrior, but, you know, it's the, it's the standout game that month for me by, by, by miles, by yeah. country and, mile. Yeah, um, without a doubt. And say, I'm not. it's not my favourite of all time, but in that, I feel sorry for it that it was even in that issue. It could have, In another issue, it would have stood out with other games that were equally worthy yeah. of being held up a bit. But it wasn't. There we go. Okay, I think we end there. I think... Not much more to add, is Yes, there? let's see what the next one's got. June, come along, June. Yes, come along and maybe impress us with your Bob winners and your Lee Enfields. Exactly. <laughs> which, which Terry sound- and Strong. Terry Strong and June. Terry <laughs> they, and June, come on. They, they sound like jumpers or sort of trouser makers. <laughs> they bloody do as well. That's what they sound like to me. Oh, uh, but we'll see what they're like. Well, let's go. I'm, uh, yeah, let's just go because I'm getting tired. Let's go. As ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Gorilla in the dungeon um and we will see you again next week goodbye (laughs) thank you for listening to the zap to the past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of commodore 64 games as well as the music films and tv from around the 1980s driven of course by the issue of zap 64 magazine published at that time we will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.